listening to Free Talk Live, talk radio that you control. If you'd like to call in and bring up anything that's on your mind, that number is 603-283-6160. 603-283-6160. And in the studio tonight, you've got me, Bonnie. Nikki. It's Ian. Tonight we're going to be talking about the FDA and its sneaky, terrible ban of Kratom without actually being able to ban it. They don't have the legal right to ban it, and they're trying to do a runaround type of way to do this. It's really ridiculous. I didn't hear about that. Yeah, but it's new as as of like this month. What's but, Kratom? Well, Kratom is a drug. It's a tea, usually sold as a tea. It's a leaf that grows on a bush in Thailand and other places like that over there, um, probably in like South Asia. And it can act as, as a opiate, even though it's technically not an opiate. It acts on the opiate receptors, and it's a drug that lots of people enjoy, which they don't really need to give any kind of reason for that, but a lot of people have used it to get off of harder drugs, and it just helps like a lot of people. Like actual heroin, right? Yeah, because it's not a similar effect to heroin, but it's like it can... Well, it affects the same receptors, right. so it makes sense. Yeah. Um, but this is nothing new. You know, they've banned psycho- psychedelic mushrooms and, you know, opium. Opium is, you know, I don't know if it's similar to Kratom, but... What's crazy to me is, um, after I read this letter that I'm going to read tonight, it seems that there is a pretty high bar that they have to reach to show that a drug is dangerous in order to get it put on a Schedule 1 on the... Um, drug schedule yeah um the federal drug schedule that makes things illegal that seems kind of surprising to me considering marijuana's on schedule that's what i was gonna say like considering that it's such a high bar and it's so difficult for them to as they've been planning get kratom put on schedule one it seems crazy that shrooms mushrooms um you know marijuana seems crazy that a lot of things are schedule one i don't think mushrooms are schedule one Oh, I could be wrong about that. I'll check. Well, they're illegal. They're like what oh, there's is that? different different scheduling levels uh, are still know, illegal. But... It's just schedule one is the most illegal. That's what. So they want so to make is that what it is? Because I, I was wondering if like the drug classes and the schedules is it like how dangerous it is so or they how claim, yeah. that's why marijuana okay, is like so... so ridiculous. It's scheduled as like yeah. It's scheduled as high as heroin. You, heroin yeah, is a schedule one. If you take marijuana, you will be such a danger to society and yourself that it's like there's it's... almost no other drug you can do that's worse. Okay, you were right, Bonnie. A psilocybin, which is the active chemical in mushrooms, uh, psychedelic mushrooms, is a schedule one substance. Wow. And that's it's crazy. just it's just so crazy because no one has ever overdosed on mushrooms or that I know of, but definitely not marijuana, and to even put it in the same class as things like heroin and fentanyl that kill people right. every single day. Yep. It's uh, just ridiculous. Schedule one drugs are drugs that have no accepted medical use, which is oh. obviously not true of marijuana. It's now being prescribed uh, medically in yeah. most of the states, the super majority of the states. And that's not even true of heroin, by the way. Heroin they has used to have medical, medical yeah, heroin and cocaine, yeah, uh, uses. So it's just ridiculous. Now they just use morphine, which is like heroin, but a doctor yep, gets it too. Right. I mean, much. honestly, I wouldn't even see a problem with 
a medical use for heroin for pain relief or whatever. I mean, yeah. as if the pills that like the Percocet and the uh, you know like oxycodone and all of those, as if those aren't just as bad as heroin. The only the big difference is it's not controlled like it would be if it's being created in a lab and prescribed to you by your doctor. That's why things like heroin and fentanyl are more dangerous than pills because there's no it's just so right. restricted by the government that people aren't able to like have any sort of consistency and you have to get it from sketchy people. You can't just buy it from a store that's been, you know, vetted and and it's even know. worse when in places like New Hampshire, I know someone put in a bill to try to change this law. Actually, a lady that is our district, um, Jody Newell, she put in a bill to try to change this law. But it's even harder when states make testing equipment illegal. So which is then that's ridiculous, too, because you'd think I mean, because their whole argument is, oh, it's not safe. People are dying. That's like their big thing. They right. want they you know, they're they're hiding under the guise of safety. But if you really wanted people to be safe, wouldn't you? Why would you ever make testing equipment illegal? That doesn't make any sense at all. It just sounds like you want to make it unsafe. I I don't really know, but it's ridiculous. I watched a cop testify against that bill, and it was so ridiculous. He was like, if we just have people set setting up uh, testing uh, drug testing places, it'll be like. It's fine. Just do drugs. Basically, th- they're doing it anyways. And they're doing it and dying because they don't know what's yeah. in it. They don't know there's fentanyl in this heroin that they thought was just heroin, for example. <sighs> Did he say I don't remember him saying that. I remember him saying like that this that testing equipment is used by drug cartels. He and did so, say that, too. Yeah, I was just giving like the in New Hampshire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so therefore, we can't have legal testing equipment because. Because drug cartels. And his it whole is just point, absurd. it's not like I was giving a quote, but his whole point was like, if people are testing drugs, it's just going to encourage them to do drugs. I mean, why not? It, no, yeah. it encourages them to be safe while they're doing drugs. And they're already doing them. Which they're going to do anyway. Uh, we were actually just talking last week with uh, Dana Larson, who is just a heroic level drug freedom activist if you missed that interview i highly recommend you grab last friday's show uh really interesting guy who set up the um he's he's been doing for like almost two decades now in vancouver canada he's been selling marijuana he started selling cannabis before it was legal to i want to so. try his cocaine leaf smoothies he opened uh marijuana sales locations before it was legal to do so he encouraged other people to do that and that's how canada ultimately legalized it because it was already happening and they knew they couldn't stop it now he's doing the same thing with mushrooms uh and he's now added lsd and dmt to the list of things he's just openly selling that's awesome in uh in this storefront but more importantly he's also created a program to uh, a i don't you can't really call it a business a charity to do free drug testing for people in Vancouver. They also take mailed-in samples, and they're getting over 30 samples submitted per day. The vast wow. majority of them are coming in, uh, people physically coming in person and you know handing over what they thought they bought as heroin or what they bought as cocaine, and then they put it through a, a machine, and the machine gives them a readout on what it actually is. They don't have to pay mm-hmm. for the wow. service. That's so, crazy. It really does show that even though drug users are kind of like 
maligned as these shiftless people who just don't care about their health or anything like that. And surely there are those people. But there's a lot of them who, given the access to the resource of testing equipment, will use that resource. It doesn't mean they themselves are going to buy the equipment or spend the time to send it away. But if they can just stop into a storefront, hand over a sample to somebody, and then 10 to you know 15 minutes later, they get an answer as to what they actually have purchased on the black market. That is a a life-saving measure and i it you know they're doing 1200 samples a month now at this this location and what's the website again because i remember i'm giving i think it's get your drugs tested or is it dot canada uh it's dot com get your drugs tested.com if you're not in canada it's kind of useless to you because you would have to actually traverse border patrols to yeah uh, you might as well just get your own testing kit at that point (laughs) i was thinking you were going to say because of like the duties or whatever you have to pay i was like not even thinking about he, the fact he he'd did, be sending illegal drugs. He did say if you could get it to him, he would test it. Yeah. But of course, you know, you're dealing with the Canadian Border Patrol at that point, and they may very well just seize your shipment, and you just have to be careful. If you're in the United States and you want to do drug testing, check out uh, ecstasydata.org. I think they renamed the site. It is now drugsdata.org. The difference being drugs data, you have to pay them. You have to send a sample through the mail. Well, it's shocking that the other guy can do it for free. Well, he's subsidizing it. so With his business? Right. With his, his shop. selling mushrooms and selling cannabis, he's taking profits from that, and he's rolling it into buying these machines and paying scientists or paying testers wow. or whatever to be on staff seven days a week, open all day long so people can come. I mean, it's an amazing, that's amazing. Uh, thing he's I doing. mean, that's just someone who obviously wants he to really help He really cares people. about people, yeah. It's great stuff. But anyway, if you go to drugsdata.org, you can also send them various different things. But the problem there is the the cost. I mean, it's like $100 to run one of these tests. And your average heroin user isn't, even if they knew about the site, they, yeah. they're not going to go and spend $100 and then wait what could be two or three or four weeks to get the answer back. Yeah. So it's just like... For all but the most responsible people, drugsdata.org is pretty much useless, but it's a cool site. It's good that it's there. If you are somebody who wants to use drugs responsibly, I highly recommend that you utilize their services, um, but uh, you know, it's costly. Yeah, it makes things even more expensive. Like If you already weren't spending $100 on these drugs, well, now it's $100. Yeah, if you just bought one ecstasy pill or something, at, or quote-unquote ecstasy pill at a club, you know, do you want to spend a hundred dollars to? T- well, first of all, you'd have to give up a whole pill, so you you need to yeah. buy more than one. Yeah, uh, and so yeah, it's a cost. Involved. I would think it'd be cheaper to just to get your own kit. I don't know you can how do that too. much that, that costs. Can you in New Hampshire but, since well, well it's illegal. illegal? I mean, it's you can get whatever well, you want, yeah, right? But yeah, you can order kits. If you're online. driving around with it, you're going to get a paraphernalia charge, which is crazy. Yeah, that's true. I don't know if it's a paraphernalia charge if you have the drugs kit. Uh, separate, like let's say you just had a drug testing kit hmm. and no drugs, that, I'm and not you're sure. driving from point A to point B. I'm not a lawyer, but I think they'd be they'd have a tough time claiming that that was paraphernalia at that point because it's not in the context of being with uh, with actual drugs. I did read the so RSA, I, but I don't remember now yeah. because so, it was like uh, January so when I rated that bill. I wonder if it would be illegal to have like. A UDS cup, like a urine drug screen cup. Because I, I guess it's medical equipment. Technically, anyone can order that stuff That's online. True. 
And sometimes, like, you know, occasionally at work, if we're if we find drugs on somebody and we're curious, like, hey, what is this? Mm -hmm. We'll put it a little bit of water in the UDS cup and just pour some of the stuff in just to see what it is. And it usually works. And then it'll pop for whatever it is. I'm surprised that works because isn't it supposed to be testing based on uh, what's the word for like after you take a drug, there's a certain remnant, remnant in your yeah, system. Yeah, that's not the remember. scientific word. I mean, for it, it might it might not work as well, mm-hmm. but like we will get results because mm-hmm. that's what those so, are supposed to look for. But yeah. maybe they look for the actual drug too. I don't know. It's weird. I don't know. Well, uh, we have a caller on the line. It's David Hathaway who actually gave me this uh, show prep that I'm going to read tonight about the kratom. So I'd like Sheriff to- da- David Hathaway from uh, the Amber Arizona. Lost. Oh, and it's gone. Yeah, he's calling on the sip line. Maybe he needs to to make a few changes to his to his setup. But you'll you'll get him back because, like you said, he sent this show prep in to the show. Uh, he is a border sheriff down in Arizona, an actual libertarian who got elected as a Democrat uh, down there at uh, cool. Santa Cruz County, Arizona. Very impressive, so, and he's just a very interesting guy. He wrote a very interesting book. And yes, about he, immigration. He basically wants people to know that like the immigrants are not as dangerous as you know, the f- fear porn, uh, you know, major media television programs want you to believe. Well, yeah, they want you to believe like everyone crossing the border is, you know, like part of the drug cartel and they're, you know, they're going to c- break into your house and rob you and steal all your jobs, which is so, no, I mean, government ob- agents will break into your house and rob you. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they're just projecting. Yeah. I was shocked to hear that they even use those cartel scary stories in New Hampshire, like we referenced earlier mm-hmm. with the cop. Um, well, we can go ahead and get into this if you guys want. Sure. This is from the American Kratom Association, and it's just a open letter for immediate release. The FDA creates an unauthorized pocket ban authority on Kratom by abusing its import alert authority. So basically, that means that the Congress did give the FDA something called import alert authority. And I'm not sure what they're actually allowed to use it for. But the American Kratom Association believes that they're illegally using it against Kratom. Mm. And that just pisses me off. I wish I started growing a Kratom tree last year. Do they grow up here? I know um, it's like a me and someone, Asian. I don't know if I should say we're looking to see. If they could possibly grow up here, and according to, you know, I think we're like uh, schedule, not schedule, but like, um, I forget what it's called, but we're area zone six. Mm-hmm. Apparently it can grow up here. Z- it's like a climate zone, growing zone kind of yep. thing. Yep. And apparently it can grow up here, which huh. was shocking to me. Cool. Because if it grows right. in Thailand. And they're trees, not can, bushes? Uh, more like a bush. I, I don't know if I said tree, okay. but uh, you just use the leaves off of it and make um, tea. Hmm. And people also make like extracts out of it if you want to take it like in a pill or a gummy form. Are cocoa plants illegal to grow? As Probably. Well? <laughs> Probably. I mean, how right. how can you make the actual plant? I it's mean, crazy, I guess but right? uh, pot yeah, plants right. are yeah. illegal. Oh, so, pokeberry. Right? Or, uh, sorry, uh, gooseberries are illegal in New Hampshire. That's right. It's Why? crazy because um, I do you remember Ian? Wasn't it just that it's an invasive invasive species? I think so. Oh, yeah. You can't even make drugs out of it. No, it's just gooseberries. No. It's just, they're just berries. They're just these orange oh, yeah, that's sour. what I thought, but yeah, you never know. They look like little tomatoes. They kind of suck, but I just was shocked. Ian was like, wow, these are so good. He really liked them. They were okay. And uh, he was looking things up about them because neither of us had ever even heard of them, and we saw them at Market Basket, and they're we found weird. out they're legal to grow. Yeah. Huh. But you liked yeah. them enough that you wanted to grow one. 
No, I was only interested in growing it because it was illegal. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's, that's what made Just it interesting. Just the point, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know if I'd want to grow a coca leaf plant, but I'd totally grow a kratom plant. They haven't made it illegal yet. Not yet. Basically. But this is about how they're trying to make it illegal without actually making it illegal. Without actually right? going through the process they're supposed yeah. to. Yeah, because like putting it on a drug schedule. Because they've tried three times and... Three times they've been rejected. Right. I remember reporting on it years ago here on Free Talk Live where there, whenever the FDA has one of these hearings, or I think it was actually the DEA. I think they mentioned it in the report that you're going to get to here. But Yep, it says the DEA rejected the FDA's petition. The, the DEA um, actually seemed to listen to input from people. Maybe there was Maybe the Kratom manufacturers were paying them on the back end. I don't know why, but... But there's a lot of people that Kratom has helped, and you kind of touched on this earlier, that it's helped people break addictions, for instance. Depression, uh, just pain. Is it a depression thing, too? I don't want to say who, but Nikki has told me about a person she knows that uses it just because he has major pain. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it's not major pain? Yeah, I just said major pain. <laughs> okay. It made me laugh. I probably wouldn't have normally said major pain, but yeah. 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 So a lot of people, they kind of came out of the woodwork. They filed whatever you know statements with the DEA when they had these hearings and it just got flushed. The whole proposal to make Kratom illegal just got taken off the table after a bunch of people said, hey, look, this is actually helpful. Uh, helpful. So leave us alone. Let us take our Kratom. Well, I have David Hathaway on the air no- or on the line now, and I want to see what he has to say about this and see what brought this to his attention and everything. So, David, you're on the air with Free Talk Live. Oh, oh. Is he muted on the phone there? Nope, not that one. It would be the one to the left of it. Is that not muted? Not unmuted. Okay, then he's then he's maybe not there. There may be some technical hmm. yeah, it looks like there's uh, some difficulties. Tap technical difficulties. We can't hear you. Sorry it, about it, that. It may be our end. I could uh, reset the phone system here. Might have to do this after the after the break. Sorry about that, David. If you can hear us. Um. But anyways, one thing that I was listening to a video about recently was that every time the government makes nootropics a little more illegal mm-hmm. every time they go after they basically do what they do to cryptocurrency to nootropics they haven't actually gone through the processes to make it illegal and What's a nootropic? Uh, sorry i was just saying a nootropic is it's a class of drugs such as racetams that like peracetam um basically make your brain function better and people use them I heard Matt described it to me as like Adderall that isn't bad for you. Exactly. That's exactly. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, that actually sounds interesting. Yep. Um, But anytime the government goes after it and they they do it with trying to put a fear into the market instead of actually like making it illegal the way they're supposed to. All that happens is that the best companies move out of America. Yeah, exactly. If you want to buy Paracetam, you can buy it. But you won't get a certificate of authenticity. I forget exactly yeah, what whatever. they call it. Yeah. And uh, well, this, those are important because it, it's it proves that they've actually tested and it is 100 percent paracetam. Oh, yeah. You'll have to buy it from some shady company hmm. and then it, you won't be able to get it into America because maybe the only really good companies are over in Europe. Well, and going back to the Kratom, I think they're all like the... Like the negative marketing on or the negative advertisement, whatever, about Kratom is kind of already starting to get out there because I've heard some people who, you know, are totally in support of things like methadone and suboxone to like as a, you know, medically assisted treatment to try to keep people clean off of opiates. 
people who support those kind of drugs were speaking out against kratom, saying, "Oh, Weird. it's really dangerous." Um, you know, I've it's seen just people. addictive. I mean, I don't, th- but, I don't think but it's just dangerous. Like, but like, so just is like sugar. Coffee, you know yeah. what I mean? Sugar. Like everything is addictive, exactly. and I think maybe people that are taking a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Maybe it could be different if somebody was taking, you know, an insane amount of it. We did have a guy call in saying that he was really addicted to yeah. it because, because he, he was, was taking a crazy amount. Yeah, yeah and dosing yeah. on it die. all day long, heavily dosing. But you on can't it. really overdose on it, right? You know, it's not like heroin or fentanyl. Where I don't, I don't know, know that you can't. I honestly just don't know. But this guy was taking like a hundred times more than I take. Yeah, and. He didn't overdose or die, so yeah. it's pretty crazy. I just, I just think it could be really helpful for a lot of people to use as like medically assisted treatment to keep them clean off of street drugs, um, you know, opiates and stuff like that. And I do, you know, I think it could have a lot of benefits. So it's just, it's just, it was. I thought it was kind of interesting that people who are in support of methadone, which is really, really bad for your body. I mean, when people try Mm. to get off methadone and Suboxone, the withdrawal symptoms last way longer than heroin or fentanyl. Mm. I mean, that's going to last months of of withdrawal side effects. I mean, it's just not good for you. If, If people find that that works for them, then of course that's their decision, but... I don't know, just to say that Kratom is more dangerous than any of these. Yeah, it's completely ridiculous. A woman in this article, it's going to get, or this letter, it's going to get into it. But a woman who, uh, Nora Volko, she testified uh, to the DEA hearing that when the DEA threw out the FDA's attempt to make it illegal, Mm -hmm. she said that it has a similar um, effect as a dose of buprenorphine. Oh, so Suboxone. Oh, that's the same thing? Yeah. Yeah, so... It's pretty crazy. I mean, so so that would be like Subutex, but um, basically the difference between that and Suboxone is Suboxone also has like a dose of Narcan in it. Hmm. So hmm. if you do, if you do try to do drugs, you won't get high. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yet somehow people get high off Suboxone, don't they? They do. So it's it's so strange because I don't know how people do it because I ha- I do know people who are using and simultaneously taking Suboxone strips. So I don't know if they just have to take more. I, I have either. no clue. I just remember the guys in jail a decade ago yep. were talking about it. Yeah, they, they go really for a lot of money in there. Yeah. Well, we're going to continue this conversation and maybe get David Hathaway on the uh, air. You're listening to Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. In addition to being one of the world's first cryptocurrencies, Dash was the first crypto project to have a decentralized autonomous organization that to this day continues to improve and promote Dash. Every month, 10% of the mining rewards go into a treasury. Anyone with one Dash to spend can put forward a proposal to the Dash masternodes to vote on. The masternodes vet the proposals and decide which ones move forward and are funded by the Treasury. In fact, that's exactly how we got this sponsorship. Nowadays, DAOs are plentiful, but Dash paved the way by doing it first, nearly a decade ago. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. Thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash.org.
This is Free Talk Live, talk radio that you control. If you'd like to call in and get in on this conversation, call 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. And it looks like we already have some callers on the line. We were having an issue, but we just restarted the the machine. So let's see if this works. Um, David Hathaway, are you on the air with us? Man, we are striking out tonight. I don't know what's going on, Bonnie, and I'm very sorry this happened on your, yeah, <laughs> your they seem to be un- re-inaugural episode. They're unmuted over here. We restarted the Comrex and they called back. I saw their calls pop up, but just can't hear their voices. Anyways, tonight we've been talking about how stupid the FDA is. Because they're <laughs> trying to do a thing called a pocket ban. Which and I think, what does that even mean? I think that's like just, you can't have it on your person or no. Like, I think it's I a term that this American Kratom Association is using as like just a way to describe what they're trying to do. But what they're actually utilizing is import alert authority. The so FDA like, has that. Okay. So basically like banning it without actually banning it. Yep. They're trying to That's do a roundabout I mean. way. And the American Kratom, Kratom Association says that it's legal. And if you weren't listening to the last segment, Kratom is um, the actual scientific word is pretty hard to say. It's like Miratrosa. Miratr- it's on here somewhere. I'll, I'll get to that. But it is a leaf that grows on a bush in Thailand. That's at least where it started growing. It probably grows lots of other places too, but usually it gets sourced from Thailand. And um, it works on the opioid receptors, but it's not an actual opiate. And it's way better for you than, say, Adderall, if you're using it for attention. Because I don't even think we touched on that last segment, Mm. but you can use it for attention as well. More than just you know, getting high. I mean, and that's probably why it's being attacked is because there are so many different uses. And I mean, like the Adderall industry, like methadone, like all of those things that are, are huge. You. Yeah, of course. And these are all like multi-million dollar industries, With you know, their hands in the government. Oh, of course. You know, yeah. So. I mean, they have like five-year-olds on Adderall and all different sorts of ADHD meds that are super addictive and, you know, have all sorts of side effects. So, Bonnie, you should be able to get David on line one. I was just able to. Now that's line six. Line one. Okay. Try so, Sheriff Hathaway, are you on with us? Can you hear me? Yeah. All right. Yeah, Bonnie, nice. I can hear you we can fine. hear you. The sixth try is the yep. charm in this case. <laughs> well, that's my lucky number. So, go ahead. Yeah, What's on your uh, mind? I, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about a conversation that Ian and Mark and Aria were having last night about these the FBI intercepting American conversations thousands of times without even a, a FISA court order. And mm-hmm. I think it was Aria suggested, well, why do they even go to the trouble of asking FISA if they're just going to do it illegally anyway? And they, they actually do it illegally all the time. And there is a facility, um, it's called the uh, Special Operations Division Fusion Center for the Department of Justice. It's just south of the Dallas Airport in uh, Chantilly, Virginia, and I've worked there before, and what they do is they have what they call light side and dark side operations. The light side is legal intercepts, and the dark side, NSA and CIA are in the same building, and they have an interface. They have DEA and FBI agents that are an interface between the light side 
and the dark side. And as a DEA supervisor, a member of DEA management out in the field, what they would do is they would send me a classified document that says um, this information has been intercepted without a court order. You have to do mm -hmm. what they call parallel construction. And if you want to look up what I'm talking about at the same time, just look up uh, Special Operations Division, Chantilly, Virginia. There's a good outline of what they do on a website called Wikimapia, Wikimapia. And they do what they call parallel construction. Yep. We would get we would get instructions from the Special Operations Division that this information is not to be included in any reports. Mm -hmm. You're not to tell any prosecutors about it. What you have to do, we're telling you that this activity is going on at this house and you have to go independently corroborate it, create your own probable cause. Oh, I and see. And they would call it, yeah, and they would call it a pointer system. And, and so this disingenuous practice is called parallel construction, so they would actually have NSA and CIA in the same building with Department of Justice agents like FBI and DEA, and they would actually put a classified cover sheet on on the intercepts and send it out to the field in the appropriate geographic area, like I was in Arizona. They'd send it to me and they would say, destroy this document uh, unless you had a, a classified facility, what they call a skiff, to, to retain the document. Uh, but do not include it in any reports. Just use it to create your own case on that person. So they're already doing this anyway, what Aria was asking last night, if you recall that conversation, Ian. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember uh, Edward Snowden, I think, revealed a lot of this 10 years ago. Uh, where the NSA was doing all kinds of spying, and it was suggested back then that they were handing this data over to the other policing agencies with a sort of a wink and a nod and saying, hey, uh, you might want to investigate this person, but you have, to, too. you have to do it legally, otherwise you won't be, because you can't use the illegally gathered data in court so essentially it's a way to uh, for them to tip off their buddies about who's doing what and then they have to somehow scrounge together a warrant to tap the phone or whatever to to do it through the the legal means. That's clearly yeah. a violation of due process of the 4th Amendment like if it wasn't collected legally this information then you're just being surveilled you know broadly illegally just what is it just your text messages yeah. or whatever. Yeah, and well, you know, NSA doesn't have an enforcement arm, so in order to get people, the guys with guns and handcuffs, to throw you in a cage, they have to contact people who have access to the courts and the prison system, so they contact FBI and DEA. And another term for this is they call it walling it off, W-A-L-L, -L, wall off the information. The information came from a illegal intercept, at least illegal for law enforcement purposes, but under the Patriot Act and that whole post 9-11 period, they came up with the idea that everybody should cooperate and share information. So that's how this developed, and it is actually a formal mechanism where there are mm. DEA and FBI agents that have uh, classified clearances that actually work every day with NSA, and then they bring the information over uh, to what they call the light side operations, and they pass it to field operatives wow. telling them do not under any circumstances uh, document where this came from um, because, you know, under discovery rules, as you know, Ian, you're, di you're entitled to discovery of everything in the case against you that the prosecution has. But this will never be included in discovery, right. um, wow. and it is to intentionally designed that way. I mean, I see exactly how this works and everything, but it's just crazy to me that there can be 
evidence against you. Obviously, the judge and jury aren't using it, but it's evidence of how you got in this situation, and it's not being given to the prosecution, not to yeah, be given uh, to the defense. This is before a case is brought. This yeah, is, I know. Uh, yeah. I'm just saying. The investigation. Portion. I understand all yeah. that. It uh, just uh, is so slimy. And there's another thing called pretextual stops. You've probably heard this pretextual stop where um, an agency that has a wiretap going will call a local police department and says, we think that car is carrying drugs or it has money. That's the proceeds of money laundering. But we can't admit to you, uh, you can't use any of our information in your documents of why you pulled over the car. So mm-hmm. they'll say, manufacture your own probable cause, like the person failed to use a turn signal, pull the car over, search the car, but you're going to have to articulate your own probable cause in your report. And so that's right. that's called a pretextual stop, and that's also very common in law enforcement. Yeah, we think that if you pull this car over, you're going to find 10 pounds of marijuana. You just have to cook up the reason why you pulled them over and then cook up an excuse to search. So easy to cook up an excuse when there's so many laws. You're breaking one every time you drive, whether you know it or not. Well, and they can say whatever they want, right? Like, oh, well, you know, your eyes look this way or, Mm -hmm. you know, I smell this. Even if they don't, a lot of it's subjective. So they can say whatever they want. You know, oh, you were swerving. Even if you weren't, it doesn't matter. Yeah, and that's yeah. the thing. Yeah, yeah, they they can find any reason to pull you over. It doesn't matter what it is, and they can unfortunately pretty much do whatever they want. Oh, I smell marijuana. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and if I can jump over to the Kratom conversation a, a little bit, I was enjoying that. Like, there's actually a webinar going on right now as we speak uh, where the, the Kratom Association is informing, you know, uh, partners that care about this subject, um, you know, like what the different efforts are to – Uh, make it illegal in different states and at the federal level and talking about the drug scheduling like yeah the three criteria for a schedule one drug is like ian said no but no medicinal no possible medicinal purpose Mm -hmm. the second criteria it has to have a high potential for abuse and the third criteria it has to have uh no ability to be used safely even under medical supervision so surprisingly (laughs) things that are not in schedule one is fentanyl methamphetamine, yeah. cocaine Meth? are not in Schedule yeah. 1, but the mushrooms and the marijuana are. So it's just, wow. it's goofy and crazy and insane. Yeah. It, it doesn't make any sense. Well, and if you look at pr- almost all of the drugs on Schedule 1, if I'm not mistaken, do actually have, like, they don't fit any of those criteria. Like, they could possibly have some sort of medical benefit, especially if used in a controlled environment, you know, with a physician yeah. or whoever present. Heroin probably meets know? the high potential for abuse, but yeah, uh, but it has to meet all three, supposedly, yeah. and I mean, it doesn't. Doesn't morphine have a high potential for abuse? Of course. It doesn't fentanyl? Click, clicking I mean, the button? Yeah. Yep, yeah. it's, it's all arbitrary. It's all political. I mean, also, that's why these things are are designated the way they are. It's political. It also seems yeah. to me like a situation yeah. where they already set something up. They can, they can't, you know, do it as they can't backtrack. Like they can't. Yeah, they can't say they're sorry. They can't admit that they were wrong. And they don't like, I mean, I'm sure they would love to bring drugs up the schedule, but to bring them down. Right, right. You know, that's it's like saying we were wrong yeah, and decades. having to forgive all these people in prison for, you know, exactly. decades. For decades, they've been trying to bring that off of schedule one. If you have time for one more thing, the, the another thing you were talking about yesterday is how the feds distri- distribute child porn. And mm-hmm. it is true, like there's two categories of undercover operation with the feds. There's the traditional undercover where 
you you produce money and then the target gives you the illegal item but then there's what they call reverse undercover yeah. and i've been a lot of part of a lot of these operations that's where the government sells the cocaine and then the person brings the money the government sells the machine gun and then the person brings the money in this case it's exactly true i've seen them do it um they have in the fbi and in what's called hsi homeland security investigations they have whole teams of guys that have child porn on computers and they try to find some guy to accept it. Ew. And if you accept an email as child porn, then you're implicated in, you know, possessing and distributing uh, conspiracy to contribute uh, to distribute or possess child pornography. So yeah, it's just in the category of what they call reverse undercover operations, which is accepted by the feds and by the U S attorney's office where the government does, the illegal activity and then charges the people that participate. <laughs> yep. yep. I don't want to get into all the details, but whenever the feds raided Ian's house in this studio that we're in right now in 2016, afterwards he had to go visit a local cop um, to look over his computer, just, you know, clear it, you know, whatever for the, to make sure that it was okay to use. And that guy's job title was child porn expert imagine wanting to grow up (laughs) to be that or maybe that wasn't the exact title but it was close to that ian told me it before yeah and i just thought they have whole whole units that do that i've been in the buildings where they have whole sections that are kind of closed off from the other investigations because it's you know so quote-unquote sensitive and hush hush and that's what they they have computers that are filled with child porn and they try to find some mope out there some lonely guy at a bar who will agree to give you his email and then you can send him some child porn and charge him for a crime. But wow. it's How's it not just entrapment? I mean, it absolutely is. And they're just perpetuating the issue. Just making more prisoners. That's going to make America great again, isn't it? Nope. Yeah. <laughs> make America prosperous. Anyway, that, that, that's all I have for tonight. Just another thing on my mind is Ross Albrecht is in prison less than an hour from my house, and oh, I keep wow. trying to visit him, and they don't they don't allow visitors. He's in Tucson, and I'm just south of Tucson. Wow. Um, but is, anyway, wait, wait, wait. When you say they don't allow visitors, is that because he's on lockdown? I know he posted to yeah. Twitter recently that they've they've got him on lockdown for an yeah. ind- Well, well, it's because he has weird court conditions. Like Lynn Albrecht is my friend, his mom, mm-hmm. and we're always talking, and that his conditions for visitors is they had to be on a visitor list before he was convicted. They can't add anybody after his conviction. And she just, she doesn't understand why, but it was just weird conditions they have. You can write him a letter. Uh, If you go to free Rust, I think it's freerust.org. You can send him books. um, You can write him a letter. I think you can add money to his commissary. Um, But I, I'm, I've also trying to visit as under the law enforcement, you know, uh, routine, Mm -hmm. like, uh, see if I can find an excuse just just to go visit him and mm-hmm. you know go, go say hi because two life sentences plus forty years is just uh, ridiculous. I also wrote a letter to Biden at at his mom's at Lynn's request asking mm. that his sentence be commuted. Oh, Who knows great. if that'll have any effect? But can't uh, hurt. We'll it can't hurt. So you're saying even yeah. as a sheriff, you yourself are having a difficult time going to simply visit a man in federal prison. Yeah, that's exactly right because he has this pre-approved visitor list that at this point in time, nobody else can be added on to it. Oh my that's crazy. ridiculous. Well, thank you so anyway, much for your all- call. And, okay, uh, well, the- have a good evening, guys. Yep.
That's a lot of good, uh, you know, intel because yeah, it was great. We can, you know, co- assume that they're doing things like this, but it's always interesting to hear it from somebody who actually, uh, you know, he worked there. He was a DEA agent previously, yep, and he's turned his life around, and now he's, um, you know, a much more productive member of society. Well, he's still a government bureau- bureaucrat, but yeah, at he least he's books a libertarian. And he spreads good information and things no, like that's that. That's true. His book is very good. If you're interested in uh, immigration freedom, then check out David Hathaway's book on immigration. Um, and the other thing that it brought to mind is uh, just even in Keene, New Hampshire, this happens every day. This happens all the time in, in uh, different cities all around the country. But there was a guy in Keene, New Hampshire that he got, you know, baited into it conversation with a 13 or 15 year old on uh i don't remember the age but underage girl over 13 under 18 um and he was like gonna meet up with her quote unquote at the wendy's and when he went there of course it was just cops ready to jump in like that happened actually no to my that friends. was no 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 you're, you're misrecalling that story that man was uh talking to what he believed was a college girl she was not Oh, wow. Quote, unquote, underage. He was arrested oh, for uh, soliciting prostitution. prostitution. Well, either way, it's the oh. same thing. It's, it's mm-hmm. entrapment. I mean, what kind of... You're not bringing any value to this world by going out there and uh, looking for people to put into prison who have jobs and families and stuff. You'd be being more productive if you were just out there being a prostitute. Honestly, and exactly like the exact story that you just told your about um you know someone meeting up with the 14 year old girl or whatever that literally happened to one of my coworkers. i worked with him at a restaurant mm-hmm. really nice guy like we always described him as a golden retriever like not much going on up there but like <laughs> super nice like handsome young mm-hmm. kid he was he had to be younger than i was so okay. at the time of this story i feel like he was you know like not even old enough to drink he was probably like 20 years old wow. so okay he was a young man himself and um, he was going back and forth, you know, met this girl online. She's like, I'm 14 years old. And of course, in the text message conversations, ton of incriminating stuff. She's like, oh, you know, I'm not old enough. And mm. he even made a few comments like, you know, showing that he understood right. that she was under the legal. So, I mean, they totally entrapped him. Then he goes to Walmart, of all places, to, to meet her. up with this girl. And they... um I forget what it's called, but it's like the Worcester County. This is in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. It's like the Worcester County pedophile catchers or whatever. Oh, is this a private? The private. It's a people. private thing. Mm-hmm. But well, what's oh really God. upsetting is like, okay, first of all, this is a young kid. I mean, when I was fourteen, my boyfriend was older than that. So, and I don't think mm-hmm. there's necessarily anything wrong with that. And you, you said know? he, you, you described him as being kind of innocent and things he like that. He was super innocent, like nice. such a nice kid, and he, you know, he had dreams to become a firefighter. They literally That's over. absolutely over. Yeah. They ruined his life. And, and it's really, there- you know, what really upsets me about it is there's like actual pedophiles out there mm-hmm. and actual people who are doing sick things. And instead of catching the real monsters, they're entrapping young kids who are like in college, right. and, you know, like people who are actually innocent. They're they're almost like creating these these issues by like. You know, making up some fake 14-year-old girl and, like, roping some kid. This is a thought crime. I mean, ultimately, right? It is. Because because if there were a real teenage girl, a real under-the-legal-age teenage girl, and he met with that person, that alone isn't a crime. It's the actual act of having sex with that person that is the crime, right? He didn't even do anything yet. Right. How is the intention to or the saying of a thing... An actual crime. I mean, that to me is absolutely ridiculous. 
what if he changed his mind? What if yeah. he what if he met this girl and then he was like, yeah, she's oh actually God. too immature. Yeah, she's, yeah this whatever. is not the right person for me. Yeah. Uh, uh, what was I thinking? And then he he leaves. You know, then nothing would have happened. If that's not illegal, I'm seriously wondering how can they put him in jail for they, uh, so in, in this particular case um, with my friend, he did not like go to jail or anything. But really? like, hmm. he's not going to be a firefighter. Like it, it just but ruined the, his normally reputation. These guys call though. the cops. Normally, these private investigator types. Well, he obviously got some kind <sighs> of was... charge, just not. Mm-hmm. I don't. Jail. I don't think he did though. I don't know oh. if he had to like go to court and get a lawyer and maybe mm. one. But to me, like, he didn't break a law. Mm-hmm. Even if you're admitting, yeah, I know it's wrong. You're 14, blah blah blah. But it's not he just, technically didn't break a law, though. It, but that's the thing. It's not just the Worcester County private people that do these investigations. The actual police yeah. do this too. There was an officer in Keene who like made that his. That he made his name on doing these sorts That's of things. That's what I want to do when I grow up. I want to pretend to be a 14 year old mm-hmm. girl on the internet yep. and talk to boys. He would tend to be, uh, pretend to be 14 year old, I think boys and girls, uh, on the internet. And then they would wrap these people up with criminal charges. I don't know what mm-hmm. the actual charge is. Maybe it's like conspiracy to, yeah, to have sex with a minor be. or something. Because I don't know. That's just creating worse criminals. A 20-year-old who might date a 14-year-old, even if they actually had sex and stuff, is that going to be uh, worse or better than somebody who has no... Um, ambition in life, steals because they can't get a job because they've had their life ruined because yeah. they, you know, they went to jail, they learned how to do meth, they learned how to, you know, shank people or whatever while they were in jail. Mm. They lost all hope. Now they're depressed. They do, you know, drugs. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. Well, yeah. I want to bring Tim on the line really fast. Go ahead. Is it that one? That's it. That's what I was asking. Sorry. Tim, you're on uh, Free Talk Live. Yep, I got you. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Always got like like phlegm in the back of my throat. TMI. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> Well, uh, Ian, when is your sentencing date again? Uh, it is currently July 17th, okay. presuming it doesn't get pushed back, which if you judge based on Arya's experience, it could very well be pushed back again uh, at this point. So uh, as of right now, that is the current date for the Crypto 6, the final sentencing of the uh, the Crypto 6. Well, anyway, there's a lot of smoke shops uh, where I am in southwest Florida. Uh, I change counties. Um, anyway... The one that's real close here, uh, I won't name the name, but um, they they had a Bitcoin ATM in there, and they also sell Kratom, of course, and uh, what's nice. that stuff called? DB8. Delta 8. Varieties. Yeah, Delta 8. And um, anyway, yeah, I got a little Kratom there today, and I asked the guy, I said, what happened to your Bitcoin ATM? And Mm -hmm. he said, uh, oh, uh, yeah, we got rid of it. I said, why did you get rid of it? He said, "Um, people weren't using it. Oh man! I guess it wasn't cost-effective or something. Wow! Or maybe it was just the space it was taking up. That now, sucks because we 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 asked our um lo- closest smoke shop to us when we were getting CBD for my dog why they lost their Bitcoin ATM, mm-hmm. and the woman said they were the owner found out that a lot of scams were happening through it, so they didn't want to be um you know responsible for that. It's kind of understandable. Where are you in yeah. South Florida? Uh, well, right now I'm in Lee County, and I'm uh, I've lived in Collier County most of my life. Are there a ton of Bitcoin ATMs in your area? Compared to Collier County, yes, mm-hmm. um, but I feel like I feel like that you know that they maybe more are going to disappear. 
Uh, this particular guy said, no, it's not for political reasons. He didn't even know. He didn't even know about like how the FBI goes after political targets with this kind of stuff. Right. But um, yeah, I told him a little bit about that. Uh, you said you got CBD for your dog. I got a question about that, but I hear a sure. commercial. Let's uh, yeah. put you on hold. And if anybody else wants to call in, that number to get on Free Talk Live is 603-283-6160. 603-283-6160. Keep listening. Some of you have wanted to support Free Talk Live's mission on a monthly basis, but don't want to support Patreon. Now we have an alternative that also helps our premier streaming platform, Odyssey. Visit video.freetalklive.com and click join at the top of the channel. You can subscribe for $5 per month, and unlike other subscription services, Odyssey adds their processing fee on top, so it'll cost a little over $5 per month, but Free Talk Live will receive the entire amount you pledged. Higher donation tiers are available if you're feeling so inspired. You'll get a special membership badge that's visible in the Odyssey chat room, and if we get enough supporters, we may enable members-only chat. This new subscription method is a great way to decentralize our direct listener support away from just Patreon and also support a libertarian-run business, Odyssey. Please visit video.freetalklive.com and click join to subscribe to our Odyssey channel and help support spreading our message around the planet. Visit video.freetalklive.com and click join today. Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live, talk radio that you control. If you have anything on your mind you want to bring up on the radio with us, call 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. In the studio tonight, you've got me, Bonnie, Nikki, and Ian. And we were on the phone during the last segment with Tim, so I'm just going to go right back into Tim. Can you hear me, Tim? Hey, you had something else on your mind? Yep. Yeah, um, you mentioned that you get uh, CBD dog for, for your dog, uh, coconut, right? Yeah. <clears throat> well, um, they, over at the animal hospital, uh, my pit bull had a bone marrow aspirate, which uh, not, it didn't turn out so well as far as the results. Um, uh, it kind of, in a way, inconclusive because they really couldn't find any of the marrow cells or whatever. Hmm. Um, but anyway, I, I guess she had had some nausea problems, and I didn't recognize the symptoms because she was like lip smacking, and um, apparently that's a sign. And uh, there's something. Oh, and she, the herpes they call it, where she'll get kind of herp, herp. And uh, anyway, so they. They're like, oh, we can give you something. And I didn't even ask the price. And they, I ran my card and I looked at the receipt. And it was like, uh, well, I, for the pills, it was like $60. So it was $15 a pill, and they sold me four. Whoa. And, what? And I'm, so and only so, four doses is what you're saying. That's yeah. crazy. And I've only given her one. And on the way out, I noticed it. And I said, hey, um, these are kind of expensive. I should have asked. But uh, it, w- would it be any different if I just gave her some CBD? And and she's like, yeah, you can try that. So they wow. they didn't seem to think it would be an issue. Oh, what yeah. were the pills made out of? I missed that part of the. 
Uh, it's called Serenia, and apparently it's a uh, it's an intellectual property issue that makes it so expensive because there's no um, there's no generic. The patent hasn't expired. Huh. Wow, it's ridiculous. Well, but yeah, CB, just... have you ever tried it for your dog? No, no, I haven't. It works so and... well for my dog, which is a Chihuahua mix. So they have like lots of anxiety issues. They're always shaking when they're unhappy or nervous. They don't like cars a lot of the time. Well, at least my dog doesn't. And um, a lot of the times he barks because he's scared when he sees another dog. And it's really embarrassing because he's really loud for how small he is. And uh, so we just give him CBD if we're going to go to some place. Like we went to Liberty Forum and there's Mm -hmm. lots of people there and sometimes even other dogs. There was like four other dogs this year. I think I kind of started a trend. And... (laughs) um, so, yeah, he didn't bark except maybe twice the whole time. And those were kind of like a, I want to meet you bark. And the rest of the time, he was just chill. If anything, I'll say it makes him a little sleepy sometimes. And that makes me feel bad. But it doesn't get him high. And it doesn't. And he actually will do a sit to get his CBD. Like, mm. it's not like he hates it or I'm drugging him. My sister right. uses it for her dog. And he gets crazy. Like, something about the evening, because I think everybody's home from work. He is just insane, such like a naughty, naughty dog, but they'll give him the CBD and he just like loves it. Like he, he calms Relaxes. right down. It kind of like balances him out. Is and it then every day? Um, no, I don't think so. Okay. I think just like every once in a while mm-hmm. they'll give it like if he's being like extra rambunctious gotcha. and, um, but yeah, he'll just pass right out and it, it's That's so fun. funny. He looks so peaceful. They actually have a whole section in the, uh, it's one of those, uh, corporate pet stores i forget the name but they had a whole section just uh cbd nothing but cbd treats um yeah she's not she's not too bad with the anxiety although we have a jack russell here um serious barking problems so maybe that would be an option for him too but it sounds like it might be a good thing to try for nausea can't hurt to try it i've never tried it for a dog for nausea and thank you for your call tim but um, it sounds like if the vet said it would work, then I'd definitely try it. I would just say, I'm not sure if Tim can hear me anymore, but if anyone's interested, look out for sunflower seed oil in your CBD. Because I got mm. someone, oh. I won't say who, but I got someone to get it for their special needs child. And uh, I had uh, given some of coconuts CBD mm-hmm. to this child with the parent's permission. Because CBD is CBD. It doesn't matter if yeah. it's for... Dog. Yeah, exactly. A dog or I mean, the same yeah. thing with meds and stuff. Right. They just changed the dose. Like, it's a pretty small yeah. dose mm-hmm. for dogs, and that works for kids as well. And uh, I gave it to the special needs child, and it really calmed him down. He was, like, laying on the ground, smiling, mm-hmm. looking around, and just being calm instead of, like, throwing things like he usually mm-hmm. does. But then I took them to go buy their own. It was, like, 40 bucks. I mean, it's more than four doses, but yeah. it yeah. still is pretty expensive. Bottle, it lasts for a while. But, um... It had number one ingredient was sunflower seed oil. So they're just what? giving him sunflower seed oil. And that really, we didn't look at it until we left. And what, was, why would you think that there'd be anything but poison. CBD and whatever mm-hmm. you have to, I don't know. Sunflower seed oil is poison if you in. didn't know. Well, and it's, and it's so hard because even if you look at like some like health foods or supplements, things like that, things that are marketed as being really good and healthy for you. If you actually look in the ingredients, there will be like seed oils mm-hmm. and yep. artificial dyes, like things that you mm. would think would be common knowledge. These aren't healthy for you. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's so annoying. I would definitely look out for that. But yes, CBD for dogs, and I would say probably for kids too, is a great idea, especially if your other option is some kind of addictive or um, 
chemical chemically um you know bad pharmaceutical pharmaceutical Mm -hmm. that is probably more expensive but i'm gonna go to uh to the phones and to major pain major you're on free talk live well cbd sounds like a better solution than like ritalin or duct tape definitely oh duct tape that's what casey (laughs) anthony would use on Kaylee Anthony and what most likely killed her. Wow. So Didn't she drugged her with some kind of, uh, you know, thing to make her sleep, put duct tape on her mouth, put this her in This was the trunk. mom that killed her kids? Well, it wasn't proven, but that mm. I watched the trial. It was ridiculous. But mm. anyways, um, the, they, dis, they determined that the duct tape on her mouth was most likely what killed her. Jeez. And there was like rumors that she, so I don't want to say it's so proof. So she suffocated to death? Uh, she was so decomposed when they found her that it was impossible to tell the exact cause of death, but wow. it was likely that it was that she suffocated to death with um, that on her mouth. And there was like, you know, rumors or whatever. People had come forward to say that she would put duct tape and drug the kid, put her in the trunk so that way she could go spend the night at her boyfriend's house without having to like pay a Jeez. babysitter. Anyways, what did you call in about major pain? Egads. E- e- I did not mean to open a coffin, coffin just by bringing up duct tape. Mm. Yep. <laughs> Um, well, first off, the overreach with the government, as far as, you know, uh, I, I remember many cases, this started back in the eighties. If they caught you just sleeping in your car, if you were in possession of your keys, they could prove in the court of law that you had intent to drive because you were in possession of the keys. Yep. Oh, they're still doing that. Wow. With it off? With the car off? Yeah, you could be in no, some I cases. It had to you be can, on. No, no, you can. If you're in some states, I think it depends on which state you're in. Okay, so you know, check your local statutes. In some states, if your keys are in the ignition, that's good enough, even if mm-hmm. the car's off. In some states, even if like Major Payne said, you have the keys on your person, that's good enough. I've heard of somebody getting popped for having their keys in the next, like, on the floor of the, the passenger side seat. The keys were over there, and they were just sleeping sleeping it off. And yeah, I mean, are you not allowed to sleep in your no, car? No, apparently you're not. Because you would think that would be the safe option. You would think, yeah. yeah well, a, trick I, a trick I learned years ago was, like, stick them up the tailpipe or put them <laughs> on top of the tire in the wheel well. Yeah, you know, make bad. them hard to find. Yeah, but then they can have those, you know, mirrors they stick on under a car. They don't. But usually. I mean, if you go <laughs> and if you go to that extent to put it somewhere else where it's so far away from you, mm-hmm. I mean, if they try to convict you on that, that's crazy. Yeah, you might get off. It, it wasn't in my possession. It was in the wheel well. Yeah, well, of and course. I was in the car. Uh, yeah. You know, one issue is that people do too much talking to the police. Mm-hmm. So I mean, if you're on the side of the road and you're taking a nap, look, it's it's. They will tell you if you're falling asleep at the wheel, just pull over and take a nap, right? We don't want you to die while you're driving because you're too tired. So, like, we they, want you to die in jail. They themselves will instruct drivers to take a nap yeah. when it's a you know when you need sleep. And so, I'm pretty sure that, especially if you were to go to sleep in like the passenger seat or something like that, I, I don't see how they could claim that. Uh, well, I don't know because. If you're driving the car, you have an obligation to identify yourself, but that doesn't mean you have to speak to the police officers. So if you're, if you can you, put your ID up to the window or something. You and could not open hand the window? It, you could hand them the ID through the window. What if you don't want to open the window? Because then the cop says, "I smell marijuana," even though they don't. Yeah, it's a could problem. Could you just put your it's ID just up to so the window? Hard. I don't know. Yeah, I, don't I mean, know. I I guess it would depend on the situation. You'd have to and ask a lawyer. Probably. Yeah, you'd have to ask a lawyer that question. All you have to do is crack your window very slightly. Yep. Slide your information through the crack. 
You don't even have to look at them so they can use the flashlight trick on you and say mm-hmm. they've seen your eyeballs being goofy and whatnot. Yeah, right. but then they could say you're being weird, right? They could be like, you're not making eye contact. They it can say whatever like you're they drunk want, or you know? High. And like yeah. I said earlier I in the felt, show, it's I completely subjective. I these individuals. I was not being weird, Your Honor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just be weird right back to them. Yeah, but if you right just have up. marijuana in the car, the, a cop pulls you over... You don't look them in the eyes. They say you're being weird. They make you let you let them search the car. If they find the marijuana, then it doesn't matter. They're, well, they can't make you let them search the car. They can they force They can say that they smell search. marijuana. They can force a search on the car illegally, yeah. or you can consent to a search, which yeah. is what a lot of people make the mistake of doing. Because they don't know that they don't have another choice because the cop will say, like, I'm going to need you to let me search the car mm-hmm. or something like that that sounds yeah. like a demand. I'm going to have to ask to search your car. Is usually All right, there's a, there's another little trick if there's something in there they shouldn't smell. You know how your dashboard has got those vents that you can push this way and that way? Mm-hmm. Well, what you do is you shut everything off but the one that's blowing out the window. You kick the one that fogs your, you know, defogs your side window. Yeah. And you kick that right towards the cop with the blower on full blast. <laughs> and that's the only thing he's going to get is whatever your car is giving him. And also don't right? smoke with the AC on and let it go through the AC. That's what I always heard. Don't smoke weed. I mean, with, you know. Well, yeah, on. because it's trapped in the filter. Yep. And then you're blowing the AC at the cop trying to yeah, use Major Payne's trick idea. and you're blowing marijuana smell at them. You got to think about this stuff. Well, what is it? ghost dope, Major, since you said that was the topic of your call call today? What? All right, yeah, and uh, this take me to another just quickie because this is a cat I met when I was hemmed up by the feds for a short period out west. He was actually parked in his own driveway. Him and his old lady had been drinking, and she got all crazy on him and went off the handle. Mm-hmm. So he went out the driveway and got in his truck, and this is Montana in the middle of the winter, right? Mm-hmm. So, But he's in his own driveway. Well, he starts the truck and just sits there and warms it up, and uh, just about the time he's fixing to shut it off and try to lay down and go to sleep, the cops come up and uh, do what they do. Did wow. she call the cops on him? I believe they were probably, it was like a cul-de-sac situation. I mm-hmm. believe that the neighbors had probably called and they'd been sitting down the street. They heard him yelling, lot, something like that. Waiting for something to happen, you know. Mm-hmm. Man. He get in his truck and Damn. figured he's going to drive off. And How could that possibly be a crime? Point. Who is a victim of someone sleeping in their own driveway in their car? It's a great question. Yeah. So is anyway, ghost dope. Ghost dope is something that the feds use. Let's say uh, I buy a kilo of whatever off of you every month, okay? Okay. Whether this is provable or not. And the feds hem me up, and they say, well, give up your source, boy. Mm-hmm. And I say, well, this guy has been selling me a kilo and a half every month for five years. Now, what ghost dope is, they do the math on that real quick, and they will charge you with delivery of 1,500 pounds or whatever that number comes up to. Just on someone's say-so? Yes, sir. Ghost dope. I've never heard of this. That's wild. Yeah, no, no. yeah I've never wild. heard of it either. Yeah, so I'm, when I screened the call, never heard of it. Well, like I said, I wish I could have bounced this one off the sheriff. It's a, like oh, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, it sounds a lot like what he was saying they do. Like, they'll 
they'll get some information and then have to, you know, cook up a story in in order to legally use that information. Yep, that's so yeah, so scummy. You got a room full of pedophiles hunting pedophiles. Come on. Yeah, most likely. I mean, if you want to grow up to be the child porn expert in your town, maybe you're a pedophile. Maybe. Not I, saying he is. Yeah. I, I reckon they spend more time on screen than most folks. So apparently ghost dope is something that comes into sentencing. So it's not something yeah. that they can uh, include in like, it's not a, a criminal trial. It's not a, a criminal charge, but it's something that comes into the pre-sentencing report wow. where they can just basically on the say-so of a so snitch. So there's no jury nullification or anything that's possible in that, in right. that case. It's just, to, it's just to paint you as a, a bigger drug dealer than, a, than has actually been proven. So wow. it's, they, can't, they can't present it at trial because it right. doesn't exist. Right. It's not a physical commodity. They can't put 10 kilos on the table and say, bang, look at that. Yep. Yeah, the story here is from uh, GeorgusLaw.com. Uh, the idea that someone can face a longer sentence because of another person's lies is a very scary thought. However, this happens way too often with the federal criminal quote-unquote justice system. The law calls it relevant conduct, but the concept is commonly referred to as ghost dope. The presence of ghost dope in the U.S. justice system, which they put in quotes, is difficult to understand. After all, we're supposed to have the best justice system in the world. It may very well be the best, but that doesn't mean it can't be better. The concept of relevant conduct needs to be addressed and remedied. He says, I will never forget the first time I heard of this relevant conduct. It was more than a decade ago, and I thought for certain I misunderstood. Sadly, that was not the case. Under the concept of relevant conduct, people can testify that you sold them X amount of drugs over X amount of time. Their statement is then used in federal court to calculate drug weight that is used for the purposes of sentencing. Wow. Suddenly, you are sentenced to 25 years instead of just two because of the ghost dope that someone testified to. Wow. wow. Even back here in Michigan years ago when pot was still illegal across the board, let's say you had some growing in your backyard, they'd rip them right out of the ground, weigh them dirt, roots, water, and all. Yeah, and oh my of course, way. of course. Is It's... What, that law that you just read sounds like it could be applied to more than just drugs, too. Sounds like it could be applied to lots of different things. Well, yeah, I also saw that he had another terabyte of child porn on his computer. Mm, could be. Well, thank you for the call, Major Pan. It's pretty interesting. Never heard of Ghost Up before. Let's go on to the next caller. Um, caller, you're on Free Talk Live. Hello. Hello, you're Hi. on Free Talk Live. I- I, okay, I have a question. Um, I'm looking to plan a wedding, and I'm wondering if you guys have any advice. Oh, uh, well, I mean... Nikki's in the midst of this as we speak. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what do you want to know? Um, well, we're just trying to figure out... Okay, because we're doing it... Her family's in California, my family's in New Hampshire. Okay. So we're going to do it... We're going to do it in California. Um, but we, I, we're not sure how many people we should invite, how we should plan this, if... I don't know. I'm just all overwhelmed by this. And I I, I actually uh, called earlier to see if I could I should move to New York, and I did. And now we're getting married. Wait, wait. You oh, moved to I know New York? who you are. Uh, you called and asked if you should go meet the libertarian girl that you knew from <laughs> New York. That's awesome. Correct. And and didn't yes. I tell you you should? No, you t- you told me I shouldn't. Uh, no, oh, <laughs> wow, no, Bonnie. I thought it was Aria that told you you shouldn't, and I said you should go for it. Oh, yeah, well, I did, and we're getting married. 
Either way. Well, well wow. congratulations, first okay, but, of all. I take full credit. But wait, you moved to <laughs> New York or you're in New Hampshire? I'm confused. I'm in New York. My family's from New Hampshire. I grew up there. Oh, okay. I was got actually it. in Hawaii. Got okay. it. Okay. And so you're going to have the wedding in California where her family lives. Correct. And my daughter's there. Well, congratulations. That's a, a great, you know, I hadn't thought about that call in a while, but I used to ask for relationship advice yep. calls mm-hmm. and it's a great, uh, you know, recap, I guess. I'm Another that, Bonnie success story. Yeah, I remember I that mean, call. Amazing. Yeah. I remember that. Good uh, good to hear that it worked out for you, dude. So, uh, Nikki, I mean, what kind of advice yeah, do you I have Yeah, I mean, for him? so you're wondering about how many people you should invite. This sounds pretty obvious, but it's something that I overlooked. The more people you invite, the more expensive it is. I mean, my number one yeah. cost was absolutely food. Like I'm probably spending around five to six thousand dollars on food alone because mm. I invited two hundred people, mm-hmm. um, and it, I mean it just depends. Like it's it's your wedding, so you have to think about who you really want to be there. If you have like a cousin that's a drunken mess and might destroy the whole thing, like maybe don't invite them. Right. Um, oh, we're doing a dry wedding. Okay, okay, that's that's a good idea as Probably well because idea. alcohol. Keeps the price down. Yeah, alcohol can also be like if you get a a, bar, a bartender and do an open bar. I mean, that can be. That's going to cause problems with yeah. uh, certain relatives. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the more I mean, if you want to be more cost effective, definitely do like just immediate family, really close friends, as few people as possible. But if you want to have a party where like everybody's celebrating with you and money isn't as much of an issue, I mean, you can invite as many people as you want. But I guess get- the venue's going to matter, right? Yeah. Do, do you already have that picked out? Oh, we kind of do, but like it's just like uh, I want to please her family. So I think we're going to, what are we looking for? Like a Chinese thing? A church or something? A temple or something? No, we're not doing a church. Like it's more about the banquet than the actual ceremony. Yeah, yeah, the reception. Hmm. Yeah, Yeah. I mean like. uh, When you say Chinese, is it like a Chinese theme or is it going to happen at an actual Chinese banquet hall or something? Well, her family is Chinese. Okay, so they probably know people. Yeah, yeah they may know so where the best place for you to do your uh, reception. Another bit of advice uh, I could give you that would probably be helpful is um, different venues. Like the venue I booked, nothing was included. It was just like you have a mm-hmm. space to do this. So literally every single thing of planning from tables to chairs to like decorations, every single thing, I food, everything. I had to figure out and, you know, bring it all together. And it was actually really, really stressful. And it was, there were so many things like that I overlooked. So if you book a vet, like some venues, it will all be roped into the price. So you don't have to worry about like tables, chairs. Usually they'll have you bring your own decorations, but stuff like that isn't really, you know, as big of a deal. Some venues also provide food. Um, you know, beverages, things like that. So if you're not really looking to have to get, you know, really, really involved in planning everything and, you know, like remembering everything that you're going to need, I would recommend finding a venue that does all of that for you. Sounds like a or, good investment. Like it'll pay it's for not itself. an investment. No, I mean, <laughs> I mean, instead of it's a party. being like, I'm going to do yeah. No, I mean, 
it will save you money if you pay someone else it, it to could. do it. Could. Yeah. So, um, you know, know, and it, it's hard to say um, because when you plan it all yourself, you can like cheap out on stuff mm-hmm. and like kind of hmm. really, you know, find deals and, and whatever. And you can absolutely do things the cheapest way possible if you plan it yourself. Right. If you but just hire like, somebody, then, or if you just hire a venue and say, do all this for me, you're just going to, you're going to But it's also like, how much is your time worth? Because well, and you also have to think about like, I'm renting tables and chairs. That might be a bigger cost than if I just got them from the venue. Well, so. congratulations, caller. Sorry, I didn't even get your name on here. But I really wish the best for you. And I'm so glad that you took Fine my relationship advice. advice. Nice. Um, 603-283-6160. If you want to call, talk about whatever is on your mind. This is Free Talk Live. radio that you control if you want to call in and get in on the conversation that number is 603-283-6160 603-283-6160 in the studio tonight you've got me bonnie nikki and ian and also i want to let you know about dash which is digital cash this hour of free talk live is brought to you by dash the cryptocurrency Designed to be uh, used for spending, and they are getting things back up in order with Dash. There was some technical mm. difficulties on Monday this week. Everything was pretty much remedied by the next day. They had, a uh, unfortunately, an upgrade that did not go so well, and it actually resulted in the Dash network shutting down for a series of hours on Monday. Uh, but it uh, resumed producing blocks that very night. Did they figure out the problem? Did they figure out what happened and... They'll, they'll not I be think able to so. do it next uh, time. The, all the master nodes are uh, being asked to upgrade, and the super majority of them had as of <laughs> yesterday. I don't know what the percentage is as of today, but uh, other services like BitRefill are now back online. You can now resume paying with Dash nice. uh, to do the various different things that you've always done with Dash for most of the last decade because Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies, and it's widely available on exchanges and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and to use Dash. You can start by learning more at Dash.org. And, of course, it is the very first cryptocurrency project to have what is called a decentralized autonomous organization. They paved the way for this technology. And uh, every month, 10% of the mining rewards go into a treasury Anyone that has one Dash to spend can put forward a proposal to the Dash masternodes. They vet the proposal, they vote on it, and they decide which ones move forward. In fact, that's how we got this sponsorship. And big thanks to the Dash Decentralized Autonomous Organization for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. They've uh, renewed for a second month in a row. At least that's the last I heard. So glad to see that things are working out for us and them. Visit Dash.org. And learn about Dash. That is Dash.org. Everyone here on the show loves Dash. And, you know, we'll accept Dash for, you know, things that we do, like yoga classes. We'll accept Ian. Ian can't accept it. But he does love it. I do. I do love cryptocurrency. And Dash is one of my favorites. Dash is digital cash. And that's what I think cryptocurrency was invented to be used as and should be used as. 
That's right. Well, I want to get into this uh, open letter by the American Kratom Association. Kratom, for those that don't know, is a plant that grows in Thailand, and the leaves are used to make a tea, and it causes effects in the person who drinks it that are somewhat like, uh, what did you call that stuff, Nikki? Suboxone? Or somewhat like, um, it's an, it re- acts on your opioid receptors. And it also is, it's one of those drugs that's a upper and a downer. So it's like, hmm. it relaxes you, but it also stimulates you. So you can use it for so many different things. And it doesn't keep me awake, personally. I don't even think I mentioned it, but I was drinking it from the beginning of the show. I finished it. So if you want to see someone who's on Kratom, if you want to see if it's dangerous or not. Yeah, you don't seem very impaired to me. I'm not impaired. I'm not... Sedated or anything? No. I'm not uh, ready to go stab people or something I can like always that. tell yeah. when she's on Kratom because she gets a little more chatty than normal. Yeah. yeah, we'll be like taking a walk and I'll be like, Ian, this one time when I was a five-year-old, I saw this <laughs> flower or whatever. And then he's like, are you on Kratom? Anyways, this is from the American Kratom Association. FDA creates an unauthorized, quote, pocket ban authority on Kratom by using abusing its import alert authority. Recent- I think a pocket veto is what they're referring to. There was some confusion about why is it called a pocket ban. Yeah, and there's, there's like a few a- typos in this. Well, what are you going to do? Well, um, just saying. But uh, there's, uh, it's a legislative maneuver that allows a president or other official with veto power to exercise the veto over a bill by doing nothing. And they call that keeping it in their pocket. So instead of signing the bill or signing to veto the bill, they use this pocket veto thing to do a thing that they would normally have to do without actually doing the thing. It's very hmm. confusing. Yeah, that, it ma- that makes sense in a way that doesn't make sense. But yeah, yeah. It's politics, right? It's yeah. a, this it's a stupid political system. So I think that's what they're saying here is like, well, the FCs or FDA hasn't actually banned Kratom, but that sounds like they figured out a way to kind of ban it without actually banning but it. But in this case, it's not exactly the same as a pocket veto because they are still affirmatively doing a thing, but yeah. it, it, it involves their import alert authority instead of putting it as a schedule or one drug which is what they first started trying to do in mm-hmm. 2016 um so it says recent action by the u.s food and drug administration fda to initiate a seizure action on kratom products manufactured and marketed by botanic tonics which i guess is a company mm-hmm. based on serious safety concerns <laughs> by the fda is directly contradicted by a substantial body of current evidence and data on the safety and addiction profile of Kratom. It's just such BS because they, as if the uh, the, um, the FDA cares about whether things are addictive or safe because they are constantly giving people medications that are addictive and that are not safe. Unsafe, yeah. So for them to claim that like this is why people can't have access to Kratom is just absolutely ridiculous. So here's the story on what they're referring to. I don't know if they get into it in this press release. It's a fairly lengthy press release, but... Uh, the Botanic Tonics, I looked it up here, and the story came out just about three weeks ago. Uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, federal authorities seized more than $3 million worth of products containing Kratom, according to the U.S. Oh Attorney's Office in northern Oklahoma. The marshals, U.S. marshals, along with the FDA's investigators, seized more than 250,000 units of dietary supplements 
Those are like, you know, pills, right? And bulk dietary ingredients that are or contain kratom, including 1,000 kilograms of bulk kratom. So they they took a huge shipment of product. Uh, They were made by Botanic Tonics LLC of Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, and were marketed under the name, quote, Feel Free Plant-Based Herbal Supplement. Did anyone die? Did anyone take their... Uh, supplements and report that something terrible happened to them or that their it. relative died from taking it. I really doubt it as you well. Know, like I've seen people have withdrawal symptoms from taking Kratom, but like we kind of mentioned in the beginning of the show, these people are taking like a hundred times what like the average user is taking. And I'm sure there's like recommended dosages on the packaging. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I think the people that are having these withdrawal symptoms are taking an exuberant amount and, and that's just an addictive personality at exactly. that point. Like you can't You're going to find something. Well, and that's the thing too. Like we can't really be blaming drugs for like what people are doing with them. You know what I mean? Like, like you can do drugs casually every once in a while and not be a drug addict. Like it is possible like to have like true recreational use of substances. And I mean, if just addiction profile is good enough for them. Cigarettes, alcohol, those are highly addictive and also highly legal. So they haven't arrested anyone, apparently. It's just a civil forfeiture that's Terrible. being brought against them. Like that's we're a taking, crime. We're taking your stuff. That's theft. You know, good luck doing anything about it. Apparently, Botanic Tonics did file uh, a, some sort of a filing. I don't know if it's a countersuit or if it's just in, in response to what's been happening to them. But they argue the government's complaint quote, quote, fails to even reference, let alone allege noncompliance with the specific statute addressing whether new dietary ingredients are deemed adulterated. Further, the complaint and its boilerplate language are bereft of facts that support the government's conclusory allegations about the safety of Kratom. Because apparently in the statement that the government uh, thugs made, they allege that there's not enough information to provide assurance about the safety of Kratom. And that's ridiculous because this... uh, this um, letter I have from the Kratom, American Kratom Association, they bring up many times that Congress has been spoken to and the FDA has been spoken to by experts who say it's safe and it's good for harm reduction. Instead, they claim that it could lead to serious health issues like respiratory depression, vomiting, nervousness, weight loss, constipation. According to the complaint, they also claim withdrawal symptoms may include hostility, aggression, excessive tearing, aching of muscles, and jerky limb movements. What's aggressive tearing? I don't know, I don't know. what they mean by that. Like tearing, maybe? Yeah, tearing. It could be like tearing. It's spelled the same. So Yeah. yeah. So yeah what, I guess, why is it aggressive? Well, it just sounds like... Sorry, did um, I say aggressive? It's aggression, comma, excessive tearing. Oh. oh. Well, okay. Okay. Well, your eyes are watery. We got to take this away from you for your own safety. Yeah, I mean, those are just typical withdrawal symptoms that you'll get from any drug or alcohol, typically. Um, Yeah, it's just this whole thing's completely ridiculous. The prosecutors in an amended complaint described Kratom, uh, the Kratom products that they seized, again, $3 million worth of it, as, quote, adulterated under federal law because, quote, they contain or are a new dietary ingredient, Kratom, for which there is inadequate information to provide reasonable assurance that this ingredient does not present a significant or unreasonable risk of illness of of illness of injury. And the DEA orange. obviously disagreed because the DEA rejected their uh, 
when they tried to bring it forward to them and tell them to make it illegal. Essentially, what they're saying here is this product is too new. We don't know enough about it, so we're just going to take it's it It's been being used for, like, I think a thousand years in mm-hmm. Thailand. Right. Oh, probably more than that. Uh, the products are subject to seizure, forfeiture, and condemnation, according to prosecutors. So this is one of those cases where they prosecute a case against an inanimate object. So it'll be United States versus $3 million, $3 million worth of, of kratom. kratom. Wow. Mm-hmm. And yep. then you, then the company in this case, has to hire attorneys to then represent the inanimate object in court and try to Are argue that it should yep, not be. That is with, like, the cars. most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. Like, that is so stupid. They it usually do it to sense. drug dealers, right? Like, so, yeah. like, they'll, they'll take... The um, car. A car a or a house or something like that, or oh, they'll say, "Well, this was in uh, purchased in relation to illegal drug narcotics, and so therefore it's the uh, it is the produce of the narcotic sales, and so we should get to steal this car." Yeah, this is the same kind of thing, just with a different excuse. This here says this FDA action is targeted at a kratom community of 15 million Americans who safely and responsibly use kratom. Every day. Mm-hmm. I, I would have never guessed 15 million Americans use Kratom every oh, I'm day. I'm sure. I, I've heard a lot of stories of people who use it mm. and who have like, it changed their lives because they were able to get off of medications mm. that have negative side effects or are just highly addictive and able to switch into something that's safer and more natural. So, I mean, this, this, them attack, the government attacking Kratom is going to hurt a lot of people. Yeah. The side effects thing pisses me off so bad because it's like, what makes it side? It's an effect. It's an effect. It's an effect of the drug. A side effect is an effect that you don't market. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's important to point out here that this is an intimidation tactic, obviously, against the Kratom industry. Mm -hmm. Uh, Think about all the Kratom. But they do new tropics. Yeah. Think about the Kratom businesses out there. That they heard this news, right? Because it's probably made the rounds in the industry. They've got the American Kratom Association having a, I guess, seminar about this t- tonight. Yeah. Um, so this is, you know, getting people's attention. And if you can lose a $3 million product shipment in one fell swoop. I mean, that's scary. Yeah. That, People are going to lose their, like, livelihoods over that, their jobs well, they want and things like that. people to say, they want businesses to say, this isn't worth it. Yeah. Yep. I can't afford to do that. I mean, I could be next. Yeah. Who knows who's, who's going to be next? Or next time it could be criminal charges. Who knows how like many, uh, sure, yeah, who knows exactly. what other other theories they're going to cook up here. But, you know, I don't know how, how profitable these businesses are. Presumably they're probably doing pretty well, but you can only lose, a f- how many I mean, $3 million dollar shipments yeah. can you afford to lose, okay? Uh, you're Before you're completely going to have to shut down your business. I'd never heard of this Do company. you want to keep taking, like if you've been profitable up until this point, and you probably believe in the product, right? Like that's why you're selling Kratom, because you, you've probably tried it yourself. Maybe you're a user of Kratom and you believe it is helpful, and so that's why you're doing it. Uh, do you really want to keep doing it? Is this worth putting everything on the line for? Some businesses will say yes. This is their mission. This is what they are here to do. They're willing to take on the government. They'll get a re- they'll get an attorney on retainer, so yeah. they're ready to go in case this happens to them. But there's going to be some businesses who just say, you know what? It's been a good run. This isn't worth the fight. We're out. And so it it could actually harm the existing kratom industry by just people dropping out. Well, I'm going to go to the phones right now. We have Alu Axelman of LibertyBlock.com. 
Is that right or is it the Liberty Block? <laughs> it's it's libertyblock.com. Cool. Okay, got it right. I've I finally practiced this enough. I think I've uh, I, I'm pretty uh, knowledgeable about libertyblock.com. I've I've got it nice. down now. Ollie. I got it right just now, but yeah. then I asked and ruined it. Okay, Ollie, what's it on your mind? It only took me like a hundred calls. Bonnie, are you doing first care tonight? Yeah, I just wanted to because Aria asked for the day off, and I was just like, you know, the last couple times that I did first chair, I didn't really like it. I just want to try it again and see if I like it. I like it more today. I thought this was your first time. I was going to congratulate you, but I guess it's not. Forget it. was it. like 2021. It's been a last while. Last time, so. Yeah. Okay. So, anyway, I-, I wanted to comment on a show two nights ago with Mark the Statist and Ian and Bonnie, I believe, with the three hosts. Oh, yeah, it was a tough he- show. He- <laughs> it was, a good it was really disappointing that right after I finally write a book titled Taxation is Theft, Mark changes it to Taxation is Totally fine and consensual <laughs> and in line with the uh, social contract. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Um, those so that... I, I want to, you guys, Bonnie and Ian, I think explained pretty well, and I think Peakless Mountaineer explained very well why it is that. But I want to, I guess, use a slightly different analogy to explain why Mark's ideas are totally bogus here. Please. He's saying that you essentially um, consent to all taxation if you move to a place. And you kind of knew that there are laws, and I hear what he's saying, but it's pretty much 90% a terrible point, and it has 10% merit. But think of it this way. You move into New England. Let's say a nice couple, Bonnie, Ian, moves into New England, and there happens to be a ruthless dictator named Alu who has a lot of guns and, and, and has a lot of power. And he says, everyone in New England who breathes air, so any oxygen they breathe outside, owes me 50 million gold backs per year. And if they don't pay me you know, what, the taxation, then, they need, then I will send them with guns to kill them. Um, do you implicitly consent to that arrangement if you move to New England? I mean, no. according to Mark, you do. As long as you're the government, then according to Mark, then that is totally a consensual act. I would say one thing is, what if you don't know about Alu the tyrant? And another thing is, even if you know about it, maybe you just don't believe that uh, that's right. So you want to move there anyway for whatever reason outweighs the cons. And I... I can't call that consenting to being stolen from. Mark is saying that might makes right. That he literally yep. said, you know, multiple times throughout the show, yep. he who has the power, the guns, which the government in this case, the government gang, they are are de facto and therefore de jure right. They're they're de facto right, and and they are moral and ethical and everything. Um, and they're the rightful owners, and, and Teen owns it, New Hampshire owns it. So in this hypothetical, uh, if Alu or King Mark owns all of New England because they declare it so and they will use violence to assert that claim. Therefore, it is rightful and you're a stupid body and Ian and you should move if you don't like it. <laughs> I, I think it's so ridiculous. It just sounds so ridiculous. Yes. Yes, it does. It uh, does, and it's messed up. It's it's frustrating because uh, I know, Bonnie, you said you enjoyed that particular show. For me, it's like, it's an It's, it's so easy annoying. to take, take down his arguments about it. All he's doing is trying to make a argument that he can use when he becomes tyrant dictator of Utila. Well, this isn't the first time you've had this conversation That's either. why it's frustrating to me, because he just... Oh, yeah. Are you, I mean, uh, Nikki was here when me and Mark had a showdown after show one time, and I mm-hmm. destroyed yeah. him then, too. But he just continues <laughs> to think that he's right. But that's the thing. He doesn't have to justify government taxation to justify his ownership of a private property. And that's like, the so thing. why he does keeps, he go so far I don't know. It? He keeps making that, acting like it's the same thing. He keeps trying to make the point, yeah, well, if I own condos, and, you, and I always say, okay, yeah, you own the condos. Obviously, people would have to 
sign a contract to move into those condos is not the same thing. And he just like kind of ignores. Yeah, that. he's like he likens for listeners that weren't tuned in. He is likening the idea that there's a strange group of tra- strangers calling themselves the city of fill in the blank or the state of fill in the blank. And that they've got a bunch of stupid crap written down on paper and that you know they have all that crap written down on paper. And so therefore you're agreeing to it all by simply crossing the imaginary line into their particular quote unquote jurisdiction. I just what do you have to say to that one, Alu? Yeah, well, I think it's just very disingenuous that he compares the BS social contract stuff saying you you agree to taxation with he compares it to a restaurant. You go out to eat and you, you know, everyone knows there's an agreement, an unwritten contract that you're going to pay for the dinner, and you can't walk out or complain about the, the person demanding payment after you dinner at a restaurant. Again, that is a, a one-to-one transaction that's understood in polite society, in this universe at least, mm-hmm. that you're going to pay for that. Whereas the scale is tremendous where you say the whole state, or in the case of Alu the Pirate, it's the whole New England. I decided that I own, and I have more guns than you. I decide that I own it. And I will use violence or kill you if you don't pay me 50 million gold backs per year to breathe the air that I, I decided that I own. So I think it's such a big difference. It's disingenuous to, to compare those to a restaurant eating there and saying someone owns, you know, such a tremendous thing like all of the air, all of the land in the state. Yeah, I would love the way that Peakless Mountaineer put it when he said that you can't just own nature. You have now, to mix your labor. What he got into is one of the few things that I will admit I'm not the biggest expert in the universe on, which is homesteading theory. I'm uncomfortable about both sides of all of that, to be honest, and I'm not 100% sure of myself either way. Is there a great liberty voluntarist author who has a book I could read that can really make me understand homesteading and be confident talking about I would like to know the same thing because this has been a topic that since I first became a libertarian, I haven't gotten a clear... Um, very good. Like, I don't have my own personal belief so hard about it because it's, um, or so it's not so, um, what do you mean? Like sure. sustainability, like being no, self resourceful. No, no, going to, no. Is not owned. it's just like yeah. whether, uh, property rights, um, and do they extend to, can I just, if I, okay. So Utah is 96% government land. If the government went away tomorrow, disappeared, would people just be able to be like, I have a million dollars, so I'm going to circle this 100,000 acres of land, and it's mine now, and uh, it's it's a private company. I'm a private company. I paid for it, and now I own all this. When they can possibly have a home that sits on that much land, they're not actually working it, and then they, you know, then they charge people to go to uh, Zion National Park or whatever. It, I, it yeah, doesn't Ian, what seem do you right. about that? I mean- Ian, what, is there a good book I could read? That's a great question, and it is something that I don't think was really significantly discussed in any of the libertarian books that I read um, You know, coming up in this movement. So I don't have that. I know that the theory, there's like a libertarian land theory called Georgism, and if uh, if our co-host nobody was on the... Is that like Discordia stuff? I don't know. Oh. Uh, it's just what it's called. Uh, I know that he would be able to speak to it. I don't know if that's per se all about homesteading but it is sort of like a, a mutualist theory of land ownership, if I recall correctly. But again, not an expert on that. I tend to like uh, what Peakless Mountaineer is saying. And, and and this may be a good question for Saturday night when he's here with us, uh, because I suspect he's, he seems to be very well uh well-informed on this particular topic. But uh, I, I tend to lean towards the idea that you shouldn't be able to just claim to own 
huge swaths of land without actually doing something to prove that you've got some something happening there. At that, that point, like, what's the difference between you and a government? Like, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess it. I mean, it would depend. I mean, because you could be like, oh, well, I own like this hundred acres, but if you come on, like, to say that if somebody comes on it, you're gonna. Like I, right I, it, it, it is kind of different because it's not like well, you know, you came into my residence. Yeah, like you're you're born here and you're essentially like forced to live here, but hmm. you know we're gonna steal from you and threaten you and you know hold you accountable to all of these laws that I, you know, may or may not have created. This is a, a really interesting question. I think an area, one of the the I don't know few areas that libertarians don't necessarily agree on. Right, so there's intellectual property. Libertarians don't necessarily agree on that. There's abortion. Uh, they don't necessarily agree on that. And this is another one of those areas where some libertarians are going to say, "Yeah, but I should be able to have 11 acres and uh, fence it off, and then you know, call the uh, have less than an acre of it where I've actually got my house, and then the rest of it is just quote unquote mine." But the other side says, "Well, but you didn't do anything to make that yours." What are you doing to that property? Are you not planting anything there? You're, are you are you tending the forest or something? Are you putting any kind of labor into that land, mixing your labor with the land? One thing to- I'll definitely say is we should say what should not be. And what should not be is we shouldn't say, oh, well, we can't figure this problem out. We don't have good enough imagination, so we're just going to give it to the government and they'll take care of all of that for us. Yeah, that's true. I think it would be interesting to see how that particular uh, property rights system or homesteading system would actually pan out but i would call again on uh saturday night and i would ask uh people's mountaineer this this question because i think he may have a book to recommend alu thanks so much for your call alu. i don't uh 603-283-6160 free talk live Listening to Free Talk Live, talk radio that you control. If you'd like to call in and get in on this conversation or bring up a whole new subject, you can call 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. We're going to jump right into the phones. We have Sarah from New Mexico, our regular everyday caller, Sarah. What's on your uh, mind? Yeah, I just want to bring up that um, uh, there, there's remember I was talking about that the panhandlers on the two feet like really narrow um, medians that they're um, standing on. Well, mm-hmm. well, the city is blaming them for getting killed by cars. They're, they're the cause of our high pedestrian fatality rate. Panhandlers. So, yeah, the because they they have to stand on a four feet or wider sidewalk. Are they so in the that, way? Yeah, so they're not going to be in the way. So, but I called the mayor and I called the council, my counselor, and I told him I said it's so comical and so silly that you're blaming them because all that you you know what you scrape up all of the police report of all the pedestrians that got killed, 
you'll find that none of them was a panhandle standing in the median. You know, I, so you're saying that they I don't actually to... get hit and they're just using this excuse. Oh, I see. You're saying that like lots of people get hit by cars in different ways and they're trying to chalk it all up to, oh, it's just those panhandlers standing on the side of the road and that doesn't actually really happen. That's exactly what I'm saying. They're not giving the data. You know what I mean? Okay. okay. If there is a cause of all, all the, what they're saying, okay, if that's true, all of every single one of the pedestrians that got killed should have been panhandlers standing in the middle of the street. Like they're claiming, or like a, are they, at least a high percentage, huh? But they're they're talking about them standing in the median, not like right in the middle of the street, correct? Right, it's a median, but it's very narrow. Yeah, it's like almost two and a half feet. Narrow. Well, I mean, they definitely sh- probably sh- it's not a very safe place to stand because if there's a car no. accident, I mean, like that's the first thing that's going to get hit. But but it is interesting that Sarah is saying that it's actually not common for these, these yeah. people to get hit, and they're just trying to. It it does sound like the government's trying to do some kind of shady thing to not have to take credibility for something somewhere else. Maybe maybe you're onto something, Sarah. Got anything else for us tonight? Well, I just want to say they want to take away from like four cars running a red light on the left turn lane. I have to wait like a whole minute for them to run the red light. And then when I stepped out, there was a, a car turning behind me that wanted to hit me. I was sandwiched from all the uh, four cars running a yellow red light and the uh, left turn lane. And the cars wanted to turn as soon as they were done and try to get me out of the way. You know what, there is a real reason why we have like 17 people, pedestrian killed this year so far. So it sounds they, like you, know, you were I mean, trying to run out on a yellow light into the intersection? No, they were, no, the left, there were four cars running a red light on the left-hand turn. So mm-hmm. that I have the walk signal. I had to wait four cars to run the red light before I could step out. And then the I thought you said it was a yellow was, red light. No, or, 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 you know, I, and then, no, then, okay, you did I, use the maybe word she yellow. meant to say or went to say yellow and then corrected herself and said red. I mean, look, yeah, I don't was, know how it, it is there in uh, Albuquerque, but usually in the places I've lived, when you've got cars that are turning left on a green light and then that goes to red, you typically don't get more than one car that is maybe going to kind of pull out into the intersection. The light turns red. They go ahead and use that opportunity to make the turn that they were planning to make. And that's usually the end of it. There's usually not three more cars that then subsequently turn after that on a red. I mean, what you're talking about is like completely unprecedented. Could be that, that bad in happen. New Mexico. I mean, those people are the worst drivers in the entire universe. So I mean, it could be. Well, it is you. possible that it could be a cultural thing where people in New Mexico are like, yep, no we cop, just no don't stop. follow common courtesy or road rules at all if so we i think all... that's pretty awesome <laughs> i mean hey there's well, I, I, I do kind of see both sides of it because there are certain things where it's like yeah it's not cool to cut people off and i think like yeah. stoplights and stop signs are overall probably a good idea just to keep like a flow of traffic i'd have a stoplight um, in my um you know private road if i owned one i would just have it you know if you look and see that there's no one coming in you go you don't get in trouble for that i mean and i also feel like most stop signs could be yield signs if nobody's coming why Mm. am i gonna come to a complete stop like so there's certain road rules that don't really make sense and it could be a case-by-case basis some could totally be thrown out like the ones by our house 
For yeah, sure. we should just rip them out of the ground. Mm-hmm. That said, I mean, if there's really yeah. four people who are turning after a light goes red, uh, making a left turn on a red light, I mean, that's that's pretty impressive as far as like civil disobedience. Well, well this is Albuquerque, and that's why they're blaming the panhandles, staying in the middle, doing nothing. You know what I mean? They, they're like they're the one that's all getting killed by a car. It's the most stupidest thing. I told them off about it. Who did you okay. tell? Who did you tell off? I, I told uh, my counselors, Tammy Feeblecorn, mm-hmm. about what's going on. And I told them it's comical and it's silly that you're blaming the panelers in the media. media. You got them on the phone and you told them this? Or do you want, did you go down to the city council meeting and speak during the public comment? Well, I, we have a 311 that takes uh, messages for them. Mm-hmm. Oh, so they never heard it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, but one of them did call me back. Oh, really? You know I'm mean? surprised about that. Was that on this yeah, topic? And I to my, well, I talked to my city councilor mm-hmm. um, assistant, um, her policy analyst, and I talked to her about it. Wait, wait, wait. wait. The, the city councilor's analyst called you or the city councilor herself called you? Uh, the policy analyst. Okay, That's all so, I so when you said she, one of them called me back, you didn't actually mean the city councilor. Well, you said it all. Because well, I was impressed there for a that. moment that there was an actual government politician who would actually take the time to call a constituent back uh in in new mexico new where mexico. they probably represent a lot because that people. would happen here in i think new hampshire you can actually reach the state reps pretty oh, easily yeah, i've called a lot of them, tons of them yeah. a lot of them answer their own phones yeah. they don't have secretaries and things like that thank you so much i really appreciate it thank you yeah. all right if you're done with her bonnie oh yeah no i i thought like you were the one that was continuing yeah. with her but i know it was just uh make fun of her yeah sarah's you know, pumping up that she got to speak to a congressional staff member there was that time that some Whoopee. kind of a congress or new mexico congress person went out to lunch with her and we were like what how did you do that it was so weird yeah i remember hmm. that i, I remember don't know all the I, details i don't agree with sarah on much but i do appreciate her passion in that show because a lot of people just complain about stuff yeah but, she does I mean, something she, about it yeah she goes out there and she actually you know she's she's trying she's so. working for, she's a busybody you know? she, uh, she's a busybody she's working for a big government but she does have that principle I suppose. if only she had you know like principles mm. where she like would put ones. all this yeah oh, her effort principle into is that, her not princi- working she has a principle and that's like you said not working and yeah, not having to lift a finger but she is working though doing all this stuff she's just that's not what she would say yeah. making money though yeah right. she thinks that that's like a <laughs> serious job okay well i want to continue on with this um letter from the american kratom association just for a little bit because i think that there's some really interesting parts in here about okay. How dumb it is that the FB- FDA isn't just giving calling it quits like oh okay so actually kratom is fine maybe we should stop going after it like people are being paid with tax dollars to continue to go after a drug that the experts already say is fine the biggest thing that we need to remember is it has nothing to do with like whether kratom is safe or not and it has everything to do with the fact that this is going to be a direct competitor with all of their other star meds that they yep. love using and getting people addicted to. Like, this is just competition for the FDA, and that's why they don't want Kratom to, like, that's why they're doing all of this. Yep, they're the ones that approve Percocets or whatever, yeah. things like that. So, of course, they don't want to, they're trying to get rid of some competition. Well, Assistant Secretary of Health Dr. Brett Greerwar, MD, withdrew the FDA's recommendation for scheduling of Kratom with the warning that by removing Kratom from the marketplace, they would create a significant, quote, significant risk of immediate 
adverse public health consequences for potentially millions of users of Kratom or its components that are scheduled if it was scheduled as a schedule one. There is typos. Let alone the uh, the consequences of then having to put people in prison cells. Right. Mm -hmm. So he's talking about the health consequence of all of a sudden making a supply line go away that these people are addicted to in some cases and then having to deal with the withdrawal symptoms Mm -hmm. from that addiction. Uh, That's the problem number one. Problem number two would be obviously some of them would continue to acquire supply in the black market and then they put themselves at risk risk for an arrest. Says the FDA used the same serious safety concerns they're doing now with this um, thing against botanics. Let me go back. What was Mm -hmm. it? Botanic tonics? Yeah, they seized $3 million of their their kratom. The FDA used these same serious safety concerns cited in the current litigation in three separate failed attempts to have kratom classified as a Schedule One substance. First one was October 13th, 2016, when the Drug Enforcement Administration rejected the FDA petition for scheduling as lacking sufficient evidence required by the CSA, the um, Controlled Substance Act. Mm. Act. August 16th, 2018, Assistant Secretary of Health at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Dr. Brett Grewar, withdrew the FDA's second petition for scheduling it, calling it disappointingly poor evidence and data and an overall failure to consider the public health. Because he's the one that said there will be adverse immediate consequences if you make this illegal. And then the last one was December 1st, 2021, the UN Commission on Narcotic Drugs, um, which is also the UNCND, accepted the report from the Expert Committee on Drug Dependence, comprised of 12 international experts on substance abuse and addiction, who unanimously concluded that there was insufficient evidence to schedule Kratom internationally. Hmm. So the UN has declined to do anything about it. Yep. Okay. But the FDA is still pushing forward. Yep, it says, having failed to make the case to ban Kratom on statutory criteria set by Congress, even a lesser standard that is part of the International Drug Scheduling Treaty, of which the U.S. is a party, the FDA is now unfairly abusing the Import Alert Authority granted by the Congress by using it as a tool to create a de facto ban on Kratom they cannot justify on the evidence and data required by the CSA. Hmm. It was never the intent of the Congress for the FDA to use the Import Alert Authority as a self-styled pocket ban on any product, including Kratom. Well, this just goes to show that it doesn't matter what the intent of Congress was, that government bureaucrats will interpret the statutes to mean whatever they want it to mean, just like we've seen with the attack on cryptocurrency, of course, where one bureaucracy says it's a security, another one says it's a commodity, another one says it's money. Uh, so like, it's the same exact thing. They've got this thing Congress authorized them to do, and they're going to go outside of the bounds of what they were originally intending to do whatever they want to do, which is to ban Kratom imports and seize them and potentially, I I presume, destroy it at some point once all the court nonsense is, is done and over with, and then keep doing this until some Kratom company is able to spend the money that it takes to hire the lawyers to fight this and potentially take it all the way to whatever court they need to take it up to to get it overturned. I, I mean, bet the is... Chevron Doctrine being overturned could definitely help What's that? them with this. The Chevron Doctrine is a 1984, uh, well, it, it was determined by the courts that Chevron won 
1984, and it created a precedent that basically if there's any ambiguity in the law, unelected bureaucrats who are part of these uh, alphabet agencies like the FDA, mm-hmm. if, if there's any ambiguity in the law, these regulatory agencies like the FDA, the FBI, they get to basically decide if they are, um, you know, they get to make up these regulations themselves. That's true. They do. Um, I think what you're saying, though, is that this doctrine allows them to go beyond the scope of the authorization of Congress. Yes, I'm and- wondering if the Congress, the I mean, the Supreme Court getting rid of overturning the Chevron doctrine is going to help. Did they do that? No, they didn't. They They're didn't. considering doing okay, it soon. Okay, and it. we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Right. So that's why I brought it up. And I wonder if it will help these people in their case against the FDA. It very well could. Well, it says the FDA knows the director of the National Institute on Drug Abuse, Nora Volkow, MD, testified on May 17th, 2022, so even more recently, at a hearing on the U.S. Senate Subcommittee on Labor, Health, and Human Services regarding the drug overdose crisis. When asked about overdose prevention strategies, Dr. Volkow stated, quote, There's also interest in the community to test other products that may serve as harm reduction. For example, the use of Kratom, which is sold as a tea, and that contains a drug molecule that has effects that are similar to a dose of buprenorphine, but could be utilized also for decreasing withdrawal or depression. And we learned that buprenorphine is... It's like suboxone suboxone. or subutex. It says, this is a powerful statement. This powerful statement represents the view of one of the top public health officials in the country. Basically, uh, that's where I'm going to end it here. But so you've I just got think- different government bureaucrats disagreeing about this particular drug. Yep. And I mean, the, mm-hmm. the ones that are more of an expert on whether or not the drug is dangerous or not say it's not. And the FDA, who has its hands in the pockets of um, a bunch of companies like that, that make things like probably buprenorphine. Mm-hmm. The pharmaceutical industry. The pharma- pharmaceutical industry. They're the ones that want to make Kratom go away. Right. So not even the DEA was willing to say that this drug should be banned. Right. Right. And those people would definitely profit from going after Kratom users. Yeah, I'm surprised. I'm actually surprised that they didn't. Well, I'm going to go to the phones. Unscreened caller, you are on Free Talk Live. Hello. uh, This is Mike from California. Mike. Um, Just for the the rare time, I want to agree with Sarah that... um, out here in California, yes, there are three or four cars that do like to run the red light after it's turned red. Yeah, I mean, wow, that's kind of crazy. And that's like what I was saying before. Like, it just must be a cultural thing because no one would ever do that around here. No, I've right. never seen that. Yeah, I mean, just yeah, wait no. until the next green light. I didn't is see it, it that in hard? Florida, and I didn't see it here, which is where I've lived. Yeah. Four is ridiculous. Yeah. I didn't see it in San Antonio, and it's pretty notorious for bad drivers there. Yeah, our, our lack of enforcement, I, I believe, and this is anecdotally, but a lot of the laws here are uh, enforcement is, quote, racist to enforce laws. So they don't want to pull people over because it affects the minorities a lot more. Maybe that just is really? something that would happen so quickly, it's most likely not going to get caught. And then is the cop going to run into yeah. the oncoming traffic to pull them over? I don't know. Well, plus, if it's only one cop, you can only pull one of the four people over, right? So. Yeah. yeah, if they if they keep going, they keep going. Yeah. I think Nikki and I agreed with you that it's kind of just rude and unsafe to do things like that. It's just yeah. that Sarah is a busy body and, you know, wants to make, like, we need to have uh, just pay attention. red lights on every single camera to where <laughs> when somebody is, you know, not committing a crime at all, they still get 
I mean, uh, surveilled, which is should be illegal. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't think people should go to jail for running a red light. You know what I mean? Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you for the call, caller. Uh, We're going to go to Major Pain in the Butt. You're on Free Talk Live. Call me in the butt, Bonnie. Um, Oh, I forgot to say, wait a minute, i got to get into Bonnie here. And Bonnie. And I I was under the impression. Yeah, whatever. Well, this is terrible radio. You just oh, yes. your calls when you make the same joke you make all the time that isn't even funny. Yeah, it's terrible radio. Yeah, anyway, so let's go to law then. Let's go to law. So first of all, a cop can pull over multiple cars. All he's got to do is pull by each one, point them to move over and pull them over and keep going to the next one, pull them over, keep going to the next one, pull them over, and sounds none of them dangerous. move. If any of, this is how you do it. I'm telling you. I've seen I'm just done. telling you it sounds dangerous. And, well, whatever. Anyway, that's how you do it, and they can do it. And if anybody leaves... As he's working his way back through the column of cars that he pulled over all at once, then they're fleeing. Okay. And uh, next thing. How are uh, they supposed to know to stay there? I mean, if a cop just points at you and then points to the side of the road and then the cop speeds ahead. I don't want to waste any radio time on it. Well, you said something, so I'm asking a question. You're really good at wasting radio time anyway. If a cop cop simply points at you and points at you and you know insists that you move over without saying anything to you what obligation do you have to stay there for any amount of time i've never heard of that happening well, try, try try leaving i'm not saying they won't come after you and use violence against right. you but so, there, so you just answered you answered your own question there's no communication there all right well thanks answer. for your call david he needs it's some very freedom. interesting yeah <laughs> he needs something else i think i think he needs some that weed. might hype him up yeah exactly that's why i said he needs some weed uh, but it doesn't make any sense. I mean, I, I would be interested to see how a case like that would go, where you weren't told, stay on the side of the road. Yeah. Some guy with a siren on points at you and points to the side of the road. Of course, you, you might think, oh, he just wants me out of his way. Okay, yeah, I'll pull out of his way. Got, oh, he's not pulling me over. He's going ahead and getting somebody else. I did something illegal on accident because I was just so confused what I was being asked to do. It might seem obvious to someone else, but it just wasn't obvious to me because I'd never been in this situation. It was in Keene. I was going to turn right onto a, a street called School Street, mm-hmm. and a um, one of those big fire trucks with all the bells and whistles was coming towards me, and they were just slowing down a lot. And I stopped to see if I should uh, not turn right, like if they were going that way. They stopped too. They weren't. There was nobody looking at me to point to tell me stop or anything. I didn't know what was going on. They paused for so, long enough that I went right. Mm-hmm. I was like, obviously they're not going right. I don't know why they paused for so long. Mm-hmm. But then they slammed. They got behind me because they were turning left onto the same street, School Street, and they apparently I was supposed to know not to turn right, and I didn't. I wasn't. If they continued going straight, I wasn't going to be in their way. I didn't know what they were waiting for. And uh, mm. so I was behind them, and they were just, like, slamming on their uh, uh, horn. And also... So they didn't use their directional? It, all the lights were going on, so there was no directional thing that I could see. It was just another light if it was was there. But I don't think that they have things like that. It's just No, like, like on the car. What do you mean? Oh, maybe I'm confused about what was happening. You know, I'm definitely confused about what was happening. I thought you were talking trucks. about... They have lights oh, going off all over it. Yeah. It doesn't have like a turn signal. If it does, yeah, because it's already to know flashing. Okay, which I get thing what you mean. is the turn signal. So they just stopped. They're facing me, but they're on the other. They're on coming to me. Okay, I would be turning right onto School Street. They would be turning left. They just stopped there. Uh, I stopped okay. too because there's a thing, a 
flashing at me, mm. but I didn't know if they were waiting. I almost thought I was in their way, so I needed to move away because they yeah. paused okay. for so long. They didn't have to pause to make this turn. Mm-hmm. And um, once I turned, they were like, you know, like, hey, I was going. And they okay. got yeah. right behind me. They were, behind they were you. Okay. riding my car's butt mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. slamming on their brakes. They made a dangerous situation by doing that because if, if I needed to stop, I was going to get my cr- car crushed. Mm. Yeah, but, I um, could totally see how that would be like a very confusing situation where you're right. like, what is the correct thing to do here? Right. Mm-hmm. I, I got even wondered if I was in their way. But yeah, there's lots of times when how are you supposed to know what a cop is wanting you to do? There's not a text message sitting above their head. Yeah. Well, coming yeah, back. I mean, I guess he could pull up a PA system and yell at you, but even then you might not hear it. I might not hear, hear it. it. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, when, we're co- when we come back, I want to talk about a story that Nikki's brought in about near-death experiences. 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live. that you control if you want to get in on this last segment um, before the la- the next half hour call 603-283-6160 603-283-6160 there's not going to be another half hour after this no I'm, this is the next half hour is what i meant oh okay gotcha in this next half hour anyways we're moving on to a story that nikki brought in tonight Yeah, so this one is from Science Daily. It's called Lucid Dying, Patients Recall Death Experiences During CPR. Um, Detection of Rhythmic Brain Waves Suggestive of Near-Death Experiences. So one in five people who survive CPR, resuscitation, um, after cardiac arrest, may describe lucid experiences of death that occurred while they were in were seemingly unconscious and on the brink of death. I've never heard it called lucid death, and that's a very hmm. apt description, actually. Yeah, it is because you're still. I mean, you'd think you're still kind of in that limbo state because maybe this person is, you know, technically, you know, like medically dead. Yep. But there is, like, we already know there's so much, like, the DMT that's being released. Like, there are so many functions still going on in the body. I mean, it's not just, like, instantly you're dead, everything turns off. Yep. There's still a lot of, even, um, like, based on, like, MRI scans and stuff, there's a lot going on in the brain specifically, Hmm. like, right after death. So... Led by researchers at NYU Grossman School of Medicine and elsewhere, the study involved 567 men and women whose hearts stopped beating while hospitalized and who received CPR between May, um, May 2017 and March 2020 in the United States and the United Kingdom. Despite immediate treatment, fewer than 10% recovered sufficiently to be discharged from the hospital. 
which is pretty common, unfortunately. Survivors reported having unique lucid experiences, including a perception of separation from the body, so Mm. out-of-body experience, observing events without pain or distress, and a meaningful evaluation of life, including of their actions, interactions, and thoughts uh, towards others. The researchers found... This is what they call a life review? Yeah, or like, you know, your life flashing before your eyes. And it's it's really interesting when people talk about this because I remember there was a guy who... Garrett Ian, who used to be one of the activists here in the Keene area. He's he's up in the Concord area now. But he encountered this guy in the state house who was like a test pilot for NASA or the Air Force or something. And they... They'd put him in one of these centrifugal force machines mm-hmm. that just, just, just like test the human body or something oh like that. And it turned his spine into like jelly oh or gosh, something really? over time. I, I, I'm, you know, that's the best I can recall this, yeah. this particular story. And I guess he had a brush with, uh, with death in this whole process of having his spine worked on. And, uh, he had one of these life reviews and, the interesting thing about it, and he's not the only one who said this, is that when you have the life review, you actually experience your actions from the perspective of the other person. Wow, meaning that's interesting. That, meaning that if you were a jerk to somebody and you that person felt bad about the interaction that you experienced or that that person had with you, you would feel how that person felt in that circumstance. So, another interesting thing with these life reviews is often there's another entity there. That's talking to you about mm. it. Yeah. 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 So it kind of, and I've heard of that before where either, you know, if a religious person, you might see like an angel or maybe you'll see mm. your grandfather or, you know, like someone that would be comforting, like a comforting presence. Yeah. I just think that life reviews are really interesting phenomena. Yeah. Me too. It is. Um, so let's see. It suggests that even though there's not like, maybe you didn't get quote unquote karma in your life for something that you did, maybe it comes at the end. Yeah. If, you didn't, if it didn't happen during your life, maybe you get that happening at the end where yeah. you have to feel the, the sum total of all of the negative things. And I think you also feel the positive things that you, yeah. Yeah. you did for people, but you get the whole experience from someone else's perspective. So the researchers found these experiences of death to be different from hallucinations, delusions, illusions, dreams, or CPR-induced conscious CPR-induced consciousness, which I've never heard of that Hmm. phenomenon before, so I'm not quite sure about that. The work also included tests for hidden brain activity. A key finding was the discovery of spikes of brain activity, including so-called gamma, delta, and theta, alpha, and beta waves, up to an hour into CPR. Um, Some of these brain waves normally occur when people are conscious in performing higher mental functions. CPR can go on for an hour? Yeah, isn't that awful? You'd think they would call it quits before them. Normally, um, like in the movies, it's like, you know, you give them a few pumps and if they're not there, they're gone, right? No, I've I've been part of resuscitations that easily went on for like 45 minutes. Well, think about it. If someone dies and they... Their parents are there saying, you didn't try hard enough. You only did a few mm-hmm. pumps. I'm not saying that it's right, but yeah. that's what and they got to cover um, themselves for. I think there's like certain hospital protocols, too. So you think, I mean, like one resuscitation I was part of, he was like in his 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, like his fingers were blue. Oh, my God. And I'm looking, I'm like, are we done here yet? Like all of his ribs are broken. Like this is oh gruesome. God. Like he, even if we did save him. 
What quality he's in his right. 80s like what quality of life is he going to have? He has, you know, severe internal organ damage, you know. Wow. Um but I guess it it is, you know, kind of like what Bonnie said, like we have to exhaust every single like that's what when you don't have a do not resuscitate order, like we have to exhaust every single wow. possible, you know, mode of bringing you back to life. So it can be um yeah, it's that's not grueling. Absolutely. Some of these brainwaves... Oh, I already said that. So these recalled experiences and brainwave changes may be the first signs of the so-called near-death experience. And we have captured them for the first time in a large study, said Sam Perina, MD, PhD, the lead study investigator, and the intensive care physician who is also an associate professor in the Department of Medicine, whatever... Um, as well as the organization's director of critical care and resuscitation research. Our results offer evidence that while well on the brink of death and in a coma, people undergo a unique inner conscious experience, including awareness without distress. Identifying measurable electrical signs of lucid and heightened brain activity, together with similar stories of recalled death experiences, suggests that the human sense of self and consciousness, much like other biological body functions, may not stop completely around the time of death. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting is that um, there have been doctors, I can't remember the exact doctors and scientists names that I'm going to talk about here, but I can tell you, you can read about it in Dr. Melvin Morris's books on the near-death experiences. He has three different books about it. Well, they've tried to find the exact place in the human brain that near-death experiences occur. Like, one exact place. He wants to, they want they want to uh, isolate that. Mm-hmm. And they can't, they can't find it. So, obviously, these memories, these... Things that people wake up with, I think it's pretty obvious that that it's going on in your spiritual reality, Mm -hmm. in a spiritual reality that's not actually just, oh, it's a hallucination. Like, that hallucination would be found in your brain. uh, There'd be brain activity? Yeah. Uh, I think what you're suggesting there, my understanding of what you're saying is that consciousness is separate from the the mind. The body, yeah. I think you go on when you die. That whatever your experience you're having is not showing up on a you know, brain scan or mm-hmm. whatever it is that they, they would be using uh, because it's not happening there. But it's happening to you, yeah. right? At least these people seem to be pretty sure that it happened to them. I mean, one of the things that Morse, because we've read two of his books? No, we read three. three. I know there's a fourth book that we haven't read. We have read, a fourth but, one that's not part of the series. I see. Um, but, uh, you know, the thing that there's a lot of people that, that have these experiences and they're very transformative for them, meaning that... They come out of this, in a lot of cases, better people, being yeah. more compassionate. Uh, Less and, afraid of death is a huge one. Yeah, mm-hmm. They're not sure. afraid to die because they know what's going to happen when they yeah, die they and know it's nice. It's, you know, like peaceful yep. and, you know, they know the possibilities after. And it's so interesting that a lot of these people, they report very similar things. They do, yeah. Right. E- even across differing like belief systems yeah so, like different religions like a, right a muslim yeah. or a christian or whatever they all have very similar experiences these lucid experiences cannot be considered a trick of a distorted or dying brain but rather a unique human experience that emerges on uh the brink death says perina 
The brain is shutting down and many of its natural braking systems are released, known as disinhibition. This provides access to the depths of a person's consciousness, including stored memories, thoughts from early childhood to death, and other aspects of reality. While no one knows the evolutionary purpose of this phenomenon, it clearly reveals intriguing questions about human consciousness, even at death, says Perina. Mm -hmm. I would say nobody knows it because the purpose is probably spiritual. Yeah, exactly. Not a physical purpose, probably. The study authors conclude that although studies to date have not been able to absolutely prove the reality or meaning of the patient's experiences and claims of awareness in relation to death, it has been impossible to disclaim them either. Mm-hmm. So, like, you can't say either way. They say You can't tell somebody they didn't have the experience that they say they had. Yeah. You can't tell them that. And, right? and then and then once you have hundreds of people all saying very similar, similar things. things yeah. I mean And they so, didn't have a meeting beforehand to get on yeah, the same Yeah, exactly. Page, right? Well you have people that speak different languages, they have yeah. different religions. And these are five hundred study participants over three or yeah. four years. Yeah, exactly. Um and this has been going on, by the way, for much longer than this. This is just the latest in a long series of studies that have been done on near-death stuff and I, I think that, that that's what's so great about melvin morse his focus isn't why is this happening as much as look at the results that we can see yeah. that's why his first book is called transformed by the light it's because he after studying these people for a very long time since like the 80s he determined that there was a link between near-death experiences and people improving their lives. Well, and I think that is really important because we're never going to know the why. Like, well, maybe I'll reach, you know, enlightenment or mm-hmm. nirvana and then maybe I'll think I know. Hmm. But that I think the why is maybe not as an, as important as here's the data, here's all the evidence we've collected in these, like, reliable studies and you make your own decision from that. Because it's it's more difficult to prove the why, but we can at least share yeah. people's experiences and kind of just give people the information to come to their own conclusions on like what like what is the meaning of life? I don't know. That's a really difficult question <laughs> to answer, and everyone's going to come to a different conclusion. And I, I think so. that the people who need a why so bad, or they just can't even think about this subject, they're just stuck in the five sense illusion. Oh, my five senses are all that is. And Mm -hmm. if it doesn't make sense to my eyes, ears, you know, taste, smell, then it's, it doesn't exist. And that's an illusion. Clearly, because there's such thing as infrared. We can't see the infrared colors, but we know Mm -hmm. they exist. So some 25 hospitals in the United States and the UK participated in the study called AWARE 2. Only hospitalized patients were enrolled to standardize the CPR and resuscitation methods used after cardiac arrest, as well as the recordings made of the brain activity. Additional testimonies from 126 community survivors of cardiac arrest with self-reported memories were also examined in this study to provide greater understanding of the themes related to the recalled experience of death. Perina says further research is needed to more precise to more precisely define biomarkers of what is considered to be clinical consciousness. The human re- the human recalled experience of death 
and to monitor the long-term psychological effects of resuscitation after cardiac arrest. Hmm. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting, and I'm glad. It's nice to hear, like, doctors and scientists kind of taking this stuff more seriously. Because yeah. previously, this was just like, woo-woo. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're you crazy. Know. Don't even want to yeah. talk about it around other professionals because mm-hmm. they'll treat you badly. Yeah, and I think there's a lot that we do see, like, you know, being a healthcare practitioner. Like, there's a lot that doctors see, that nurses see, being around dying people that sometimes you don't want to share with your colleagues mm-hmm. because you are afraid of what people are going to think of you. Like, oh, they're like a lot of people don't want to be seen as crazy, especially if they hold, you know, kind of a more prestigious title. Like you're you're right. a doctor and a lot of doctors are very left brained and they're not always open to the spiritual side of things. Yeah. And they so. are. There is a fear factor. I know in Melvin Morse's books, he talks about some of these respected doctors coming to him quietly. Yeah. And telling him their stories, but like, oh, you can't say it was me. Yeah. You know? But they were glad and, to share it with someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and there are some times where like something happens to you and you're not sure if it's real mm. because it, some of these things just don't seem quite possible. And lots of people like, like to finally get told, like, you're not crazy. There are tons of people with similar stories to this. And then I that. It's just really sad to me that there have been people that, you know, lived on this planet and they died in like the 80s and they never talked about like a Bigfoot experience or an alien abduction or a near death experience because they were afraid that they would get made fun of or not be able to get a job or whatever. And it's so easy to kind of just black out some of that stuff. Or like, oh, that it, it wasn't real because of A, B, C, and D, mm-hmm. you know, like it's very easy as a defense mechanism to kind of just, you know, rationalize why that wasn't a UFO and why it was a, you know, a shooting star or whatever. Oh, no, I was just really tired and I must have been hallucinating. Sure. You know, it's yep. not impossible. Well, I'm going to go to the phones. We've got Kadu. Kadu, you're on Free Talk Live. Yeah. I'm forced to make a confession. I have to get this off my chest. Feel right. guilty about it. Go ahead. I'm jealous. I'm jealous of Ian Freeman because Bonnie looks great in that outfit. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you so much. That's very valid. Very beautiful lady. There's no doubt. Were you calling about something else? He hung up. Oh, so wow. I guess not. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Kadu. <laughs> I appreciate it. I'm going to go now to Sahid. Sahid, you're on Free Talk Live. What's on your mind? Hey, how you guys doing? Um, hey, Sahid. That was a great conversation, and uh, I love the topic. Um, there's actually, I called for something else, but there's a great connection uh, with this in the Quran because there's like this chilling verse that talks about uh, when somebody goes ahead and dies and uh, they're doing wrong, an angel will take them, they'll take their soul, and basically say, uh, what, was your, what situation were you in? And then uh, he responds, we were oppressed on earth. And then he asked, was God's earth not wide enough that you couldn't emigrate somewhere, you know? Uh, and so, to the, and then it says that those people would be the pe- people who end up in hell, despite them saying that they're oppressed, and that's why they went ahead and did, you know, uh, X and X, and, uh, you know, just like the Nazis would say, like, uh, I had no choice to go ahead and do this. Uh, basically, they should have went ahead and moved instead to kind of, like, get out of that situation. And that doesn't apply to uh, people who are, you know, poor, too poor to actually go ahead and move mm-hmm. and whatnot. 
Um, Which, of course, was a lot easier to do in the days that the Quran was uh, was imparted than it is now. Now you can't go anywhere without, you know, master's permission. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, during so, COVID? Uh, immigrant- or any time. That was bad, though. I, I, actually, uh, a lot of people said that they weren't able to move during COVID, but that was the time that I went ahead and got the hell out. Uh, usually I just, you know, uh, stay at home. Uh, for the most part, don't mm-hmm. go out too uh, too much. But uh, during COVID was when I uh, when I saw everything going on. I was like, you know what? Let me go ahead and get the hell out of here. So as things were, you know, uh, if people are looking, then uh, you could, and they had the means to, they could go ahead and leave. You know what I'm saying? Where did you leave they, during uh, COVID? Do uh, you know Derek Rose? Do you guys follow him at all? Uh, I mean, I, I've I met him uh, on occasion at libertarian events over the years, but I can't yeah, say I, I know went him. down to uh, I went down to Mexico. Uh, oh at a wow. Certain point. Uh, but I actually came back because I got I went I went broke on the way, but uh, and I, I decided to go ahead and turn around. It was actually a little kind of scary being in a different place like that. Uh, not not scary, but uh, it was weird. So you went. To, he's got like a community or whatever that he started down there. Is that what's going on in Mexico? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that Puerto Vallarta? Excuse me. Is it uh, Puerto Vallarta? No, I went, I, I'm I'm uh, I actually didn't get there. I got all the way to uh, one of the big cities. Uh, I forget the name. Uh, uh, one of the biggest cities on the uh, near the border, like a couple hours away. Huh, okay. uh, Morelia, maybe. Morelia? Oh, that's uh, in uh, Michoacan. Okay. Michoacan. Okay, maybe it was a different city. Uh, so you made it to uh, you made it into Mexico, but then ran out of money and you had to turn around. LRN.FM. Uh- there now. Generally, you want to put somebody on hold before you do that, but Sahid's pretty trustworthy. He's he probably didn't mean to uh, to Run say that. Back. You can choose to take somebody back because the uh, the dumb machine's ready to go again. So okay, well, Sahid, you, you said you had some other subject you actually wanted to talk about when you called in. So let, let's get on to that. Uh, actually, that was the subject was about emigrating because uh, it was about Alu and uh, Mark uh, and your conversation from last time. Uh, I think that leaving and moving somewhere that's uh, more free or into the woods or whatever you got to do to kind of like get out of the oppression is uh, an important thing to do if you have the ability to, you know? Mm-hmm. But I do understand going ahead and staying behind to kind of, like, I think figure that, out how, what to do with uh, those who are oppressed the thing about those Mark, who are too poor to move. I think we we all agree that if you live in California and you want to live in a more free place, yeah, you should go to New Hampshire. But the thing is, Mark believes that you should just basically, you are responsible and being voluntarily... You are voluntarily committing or, you know, voluntarily giving your money to the government in the form of taxes or X, Y, and Z, unless you move to a place where none of that's happening. And guess what? There's no place on earth where none of that's happening. Uh, And I think it's just important for us to find, because everybody has different priorities and different things that they need from life and what they consider to be freedom. So, like, that's not going to be the same across the board. Like, Mark used to be... uh, Championing uh, the Marianas Islands. They don't allow guns there. Yeah, like I wouldn't want to live there. And, I want to live in New Hampshire. <laughs> and he just told us the other day, like everything that they, you know, their water, their sewage, their uh, things like that, it's paid for by the American taxpayer. So yeah, you're not paying taxes, but you're but also feeding is. off someone. Yeah, yeah, that's like almost. Mm. Uh, almost worse. Yeah, I think, uh, but I think the, the mo- most important point is uh, the people who are doing the oppressing and not contributing to that, you know? Uh, so if you're going ahead and give your money to, to the government while you're in this situation in, in America, then that's a big, a big deal, like morally. Um, and so if you have a choice to kind of like move away and not be able to feed that system, that is doing so much damage. But then you're going to be feeding world. another system. That's my point. Obviously, if there was a, 
uh, everyone could just move to this one place and they wouldn't be feeding any bad system, no one would disagree that that would be the most moral choice. Well, Mark says you can move into... But there isn't a place like that. He says you can move into Morazan.city in the mainland of Honduras and you can live in a walled city, pay $120 a month for a little... Uh, a little apartment. And... Some people literally cannot do that if they don't have the money to do that, for one. And for another thing, I don't want to be in a walled city where the uh, city that is right outside of the wall is the most dangerous place on the earth for women. <laughs> and you probably uh, yeah, can't and have the, a gun. The, the, yeah, and yeah probably not. Crimes going around all around the world. And so, uh, you know, the, I think that's the whole point of uh, the, even the concept of hell is that, you know, there's a lot of crimes going on and people have to pay for that uh, after they uh, pass away. You know, uh, and there is some kind of karmic system where it does actually, you know, equal out, you know. Uh, I agree with that. And, uh, I hope so. Yeah. And, and uh, I think uh, one of the other biggest parts is uh, the concept of ownership and disputes and ownership. And when you're saying, I mean, because there are places in the world where people will not dispute you being there because they're not even going to know you're there. Until we have like a complete prison, you know, kind of like control grid where they have satellites going ahead and pinpointing where everybody is at any point in time. Uh, before then, uh, there are places around the world where you can be and not contribute as a uh, kind of like, and nobody's not even, most people won't even contest, contest it because most, people, more, most people won't even move there. That, that, that's the type of place amount. that you would have to have these type of skills that a lot of people don't have anymore to like be able to, able to live off the land. And the other thing, thing is, it's not even guaranteed. River it Dave, River Dave, some mm. airplanes, they were like looking at the forests of New Hampshire to, I don't know, uh, monitor for fires or something like that. Uh, they saw that he had his house peacefully there, and they told on him. And then when he wouldn't move, they eventually went and burned down his house. He was just After living arresting peacefully. him and throwing him in jail, they burned his house down. Yeah, that's true. Well, thank you for the call, Sahid, and this has been Free Talk Live. If you guys want to call in tomorrow, we're on every day of the week, uh, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. And you can always call 603-283-6160. Thanks for listening. This is Mark Edge with Free Talk Live. Mark Warden with PorcupineRealEstate.com is one of the best real estate agents I've ever worked with. I've been through about two dozen real estate transactions in my life, and I feel like I know what I'm doing, but there's always the things that you don't know that you don't know. Mark Warden with PorcupineRealEstate.com found a problem with the house that I was buying that ultimately saved me $65,000. He's a consummate professional, holds his people to his own high standards, and I would unequivocally recommend him for any real estate purchase in New Hampshire. Don't sell yourself short. Contact PorcupineRealEstate.com.